Okay, we're live. Hello again, everybody. What's up, chat? Buckle in. Buckle up, because we got an awesome one for you guys. We're talking about our top 10 films of the last decade, the 2010s. So this should be fun. A lot of films to talk about, yeah. a lot of different films. And, you know, like, I feel like that decade, really, there was a lot of different elements that kind of came into play. You think about, like, Marvel was became a thing in yeah. the 2010s. Before that, it just wasn't a thing. Yeah. Now we can't imagine our lives without thinking about two or three Marvel or four Marvel films coming out a year. Yeah. Totally and different. Also, <laughs> also, yeah, from the beginning of the decade to the end, we went from a little bit of that classic studio system of like, you're going to have your blockbuster, you're going to put out like five other movies just because we can. We're going to put out like Russell Crowe's next three days or something like those are all going to hit theaters and then you'll get your blockbusters, your G.I. Joe's or whatever. We went from that to four or five Marvel movies a year and all of the rest of the indie trash trash goes to streaming or whatever. Like it was a really transitional yes. kind of decade in, in that sense, I think. Yeah, the Netflix is the Hulu's. Um, now we have Apple, we have um, Amazon. These yeah. guys are all in the game making content. Yeah, um, and that's sort of had an effect on the, uh, what films can make. The the whole uh, premium TV thing like really exploded. I mean, we had you know yes. in the two thousands the Dexter's and the Sopranos, but like we really had Breaking Bad came into its own. Yeah. House of Cards came out on Netflix. Everyone's like, what is Netflix? Ooh, ooh. you know? <laughs> so yeah, a lot, I, I feel like a lot of that has taken away from some movies getting made or getting making the theaters. It's, it was wild. Yeah. There's a lot. Like I, if you think about like, uh, was a true detective season one? Yes. I mean that like, wow. could that have been a movie? It, yeah. it really feels like it mm -hmm. on a lot of levels. Mm -hmm. um, I really feel like uh, season one of Westworld, yeah feels like a movie basically i feel like that could have been a christopher nolan movie if they just truncated it down to a two-hour movie would have been i'm glad it wasn't because it would have been even more disjointed <laughs> but yeah i think i think that it could have worked but yeah. i'm glad that they got at least season one season after that yeah. i feel like it went like off the rails hard hard yeah. but you know again yeah so like there's all this stuff competing in the marketplace and it's 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 a huge there's there's a lot of stuff going yeah. on now in film yeah 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 okay so. um all right so let's start our list you want to start with your number 10 lucian we're, we're just gonna go right into it huh dude let's do it let's do all it right. so uh i mean i have to preface my list though like we were talking about this earlier uh it's not necessarily a definitive list because it was hard for me i told ibrahim earlier i uh i was kind of putting all the movies together that came out i cut half of them and then i still had 36 to yeah. go through so like to parody down even further some of these movies stand for like entire sets of other movies but really again same as my list for 2019 and some of the other lists uh, what's more important to me is kind of like the place and time i was at when i saw it the <clears throat> feeling that it gave me or the wish fulfillment that it gave me or whatever the case may be versus you know actual critical or like this is an important movie you know that kind of thing like <laughs> essential viewing right and you know uh, your boy over here is a degenerate and I like what I like and I like mostly schlock and uh, offensive things. So yeah, my number 10 is the masterpiece that is The Expendables 2. Oh, The Expendables 2. The Expendables 2 because Expendables 1 was a, was a pretty huge – so my background, grew up in Eastern Europe – Literally, all we had to eat and drink is Rambo, Rocky, Commando, Cobra, etc. Right? Those are the movies. Uh, Die Hard, etc. Expendables 1 was a huge moment. 
uh, but I feel like it was a little oversold. Stallone came out. And he was like, "We got all the, we got all the boys, and we're gonna woo." But like, really, it was just Stallone and Statham the movie, and then some of the other guys kind of filled out. Expendables two is the one that just blew it out, and it blew me away. Uh, they made the smart decision where they didn't let. Well, Stallone chose not to direct so that he could just focus on being Stallone. They got a very, very, very competent director that doesn't get enough credit. Simon West of uh, Con Air fame. Um, and this is the movie where it, it feels like an Avengers of the boomer uh, generation of action dudes that I grew up with, right? You know, was, I could tell you what the whole cast is, but basically this is the one where they got Jean-Claude Van Damme. They made him a villain, right? You got Arnold and Bruce Willis trading one-liners. You got, uh, you know, all kinds of martial arts, special effects, most in importantly out of everything they got chuck norris to crawl out from whatever rock he was hiding under to be in this movie to come up to the camera and say a chuck norris joke chuck norris so, uh, chuck Nor- i mean you have to remember like at the time yeah. like at least i don't know I, I don't know if everybody else cared this is the year 2012 right but for me this is this was the ultimate when it comes to like action movies this is the ultimate action or um will wish fulfillment it was just to yeah. see all these guys after all these years because you know there were rivalries in the 80s and the 90s i remember last action hero there was a scene where arnold goes to like a movie premiere and like yes. jean claude is there and stallone <laughs> is there and they're all talking shit on each other like it was such a cathartic moment to have all of these guys on screen together and it was a good movie it was like a good action film it's not just there's these guys <laughs> in it and then there's some action it was the plot does whatever it has to do to keep you moving but uh, it really is well made, and I think it stands for kind of the end of that era. Because uh, again, now it's just Marvel movies, Marvel movies. Uh, the end of those like those particular types of stars. I feel like being able to box office carry a movie. Uh, Schwarzenegger had a couple movies come out after that that meh, did whatever, and then he went back under Stallone. You know, <laughs> if he didn't have Creed, I feel like he you know he wouldn't be relevant either. Uh, Rambo, God knows Rambo sucks now. So. Um, <laughs> This is it, man. This is this is the one. This is entering in at number ten, purely because I still get worked up talking about it. It's such uh, for my childhood and for that genre of action movies of like just n- n- shitty, but not like straight to Hulu shitty, where you know there's no budget and everyone you know they're just sitting in a car <coughs> for forty minutes. Like you know, it's. I, I'm going to stop talking about it. I like Expendables too. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Expendables was a big deal. I remember when the first one, like this, stuff like that wouldn't really move me a lot. But when it's like Stallone and Statham and Jet Li and even yep. like Terry Crews. Oh, and Terry it's like is so good in those movies. Yeah. He is, yeah. He is great. Yeah, Isn't there a scene in the second one where he's just like got like a rocket launcher or something like that, or like a grenade launcher, and he's just like blasting people. I oh, remember oh. that's in one of the movies. In the, Probably in the first one, they're, they're like in a catacomb or whatever. He comes in yeah. with this like big-ass shotgun. He's just like shredding dudes. Yeah. I think – I think so Dolph Lundgren, he's in the second one, right, for sure? Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he's in all of them. I Yeah, and what I love – I'm pretty sure it's the se- – I, I forget which one it is, but like there's this one moment where – you know, it's all these are so kind of self-referential, and like the more you know about them, the more right, like yeah. you get out of it. Because like he's a really smart guy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He's like a physicist or something. Mm-hmm. And like they're stuck in a cave, and he's like doing physics on how oh we need an explosion this big because then it's gonna and and like if you didn't know anything about him, you're like what the what? But if you understand, like this guy is 
like really smart, like really, really smart. Yeah, he's uh, you, you he's get that of reference, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's 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 awesome. A lot of great moments. There's the, the the first one was shot while Arnold was still in office as governor, and there's that moment in the church, you know, where. Uh, you know, they, they say fuck you to each other or whatever, and then he walks away, and then someone asks him, like, what's his problem? He's like, he wants to be president. Like, <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. It's just, yeah. And they're really, it's just fun, right? It's like, yeah. Why, like, why do we have all these people in this movie? It's just like, just for pure crowd-pleasing, really. Pretty much, Fan yeah. service, you know? Yeah. yeah, and it's important that everybody gets enough screen time to feel justified. Again, that was kind of my problem with the first movie. I think this one is the one that really nailed it. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right, so my number ten is Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Okay. So um, I remember like seeing this and not really expecting much out of it. Um, I definitely like. I I feel like I liked it more the more I watched it and the more I hear people talk about it, and the more you understand like what they really achieved. Like when you see how much they did practically. When you see like. <clears throat> how 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 much they did with like like the color correction in the in the movie? Oh man, it's unbelievable! Like Unreal. when you see when you see the color grade of like just the film and then what the final product was, it's unbelievable. Um, and like the fact that this movie is basically like they they when he pitched it to Warner, it was just like a bunch of um, storyboards, pretty much. Yeah, it's like yeah. this is what I want to do. This is the movie. Are you are you cool with it? They're like, um, okay. <laughs> and I mean, you know, they probably didn't expect a lot out of it, and it became huge. You know, it's it's unreal, man. Like, because the storyboards have been in his head for like thirty years, right? Since yeah. the last Mad Max, and then yeah, yeah, you know. since whatever Beyond Thunderdome or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> it's insane, man. That they. First of all, that they would take the chance on him. He hadn't. I mean, Happy Feet. Okay, like the Happy Feet guy is gonna do this. Yeah, uh, they. They well, so he almost did a Justice League movie with them. Oh, oh, there's that DC got, fan in you coming yeah, out. I didn't know this. Look, got really, really close. Like he cast it. Mm. They, the Australian government was gonna give him a bunch of money, and then something happened and it fell through. It just got, got really it. close, and then it fell through. Got it. But so he's kind of still been a Warner guy, but you know, he hasn't, yeah. he hadn't really done something in a while. And then he did Mad Max Fury Road. And it was like, I mean, it's probably one of the best films he's ever done. Really? Yeah. Maybe the, I, the best film he's ever done. I'd probably the best. I mean, the, yeah, you said the, as an achievement outside an of achievement, it being a yeah. good movie is insane. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you just think like they basically just went into the desert in Australia and just a, but like the crew is all Australian. The DP and everything, and they just like you know just did their thing, um, and it it it's pretty amazing. I mean, it just like all these scenes, like like where when when Immortem Joe is like chasing after chasing after them, and the they're going into that massive sandstorm, like it's unbelievable. And yeah. like the like the guy playing the guitar, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, um, I forget what they called the 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 group of people going after him, but like. It's just, it's just like, how did someone think up something like this? I right? mean, and how, how did someone have all of that in his in his head? Because like, imagine you're in the desert and you have all these hundreds of people working, and you have these uh, two lead actors who, by all hate accounts, each uh, hate each other. Tom Hardy mm -hmm. hated the director. He was just like, I don't get why you want me to do this. This is fucking stupid. And he's just like, 
trust me. Like, mm-hmm. I, under- I know what that feeling is like of just like, what the fuck are we doing? And the director is just the only one who's just like, listen, this is going to work. And everyone's looking around you. They're in the desert. Like, yeah, this guy's insane. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 a miracle. <laughs> It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that just shows you like, you know, you don't always have to get along for it to work out, but someone has to have a clear vision. Someone has to have the vision. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and people have to believe in that vision. And so probably, you know, him, the producer, the DP, they believed in it and everyone else was kind of like, you know, (laughs) right. But, but like he really, I mean, just like the, just the visuals of it. And there's just so many iconic visual moments, the sandstorm, uh, when the dude's driving into the fucking sandstorm, he's like, "Oh yeah, what a lovely day!" And it's just like, "What, what a lovely day!" Yeah, yeah. Like when, <laughs> like when um, Max is like hanging on the on the thing, and he's like bouncing back and forth. That, yeah, that's what I was thinking of earlier. Yeah. When the guys jump off and they like have the barbs and they're like throwing barbs at him. Yeah, it's just like, whoa! This this is this is post apocalyptic. It's just so steampunky and like and crazy. It's, it's, it's a great moment too because. Mad Max, like how many people have done Mad Max since Mad Max? Like people have tried to do that aesthetic, right? And then finally here they come and they do Mad Max again. And it's they're kind of showing everybody like this is actually, this is like, this is how you adapt it. This is how like it would look now, you know, uh, done today. It's really awesome. Like I'm thinking of uh, like Book of Eli, for example, that piece of shit. Like, oh. There's a lot of movies that we're trying to do, not necessarily as out there as Mad Max, but they were doing that post-apocalyptic thing. And then here comes Mad Max. To oh, sure. The Road was another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was good stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the most critically acclaimed films, actually, yeah. of, the, of, the, of the decade as well. So cathartic to watch them just rake in all the Oscars. I remember what there were a couple other movies um, that were like kind of the the favorites at the Oscar that year that they were going to win all those awards. And then Mad Max just swept up just award after award. By the way, the score of this movie is like unbelievable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Junkie XL. Unbelievable score. Like you hear that, you get a feeling immediately. And And you you think of those scenes. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. The score of this film. (laughs) So there's so much to like about this movie. So much. Uh Cool. All right. So what's your number nine, man? Well, you got me. You got me thinking about Mad Max now. Uh, well, my number nine, my number nine kicked out a lot of other movies. Like I, this is the last one that I put on here. Like it kicked out Fast Five and a couple of these movies uh, because I felt like I kind of covered that with Expendables. And number nine is Hacksaw Ridge. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mel Gibson's Hacksaw Ridge, and I'm not just putting it on there because I'm a Mel Gibson fan because I am. Uh, but this movie made me cry like a little bitch. And uh, you could say that it is it is purposely done that way. You know, it's a little emotionally. Min- I mean, the story is so emotional, right? It's so charged that, of course, you know, but I think it's it's delivered in such a way like it's directed in such a way. And the performances are so strong. I mean, you go into it expecting it to be like a Saving Private Ryan kind of a thing. Or yeah. at the very least, you know, it's Mel Gibson. So, you know, that there's going to be some like brutal, you know, massive combat sequences in it or whatever Mm -hmm. and it does have all of that but like he really like nails the human story hugo weaving as like the alcoholic dad in this that like beats on his you know he like beats on um the main character's mom and there's like all this trauma family trauma but they all like hang in there because he's a world war one vet and he's got all this ptsd and like nobody comes out of this movie clean except the main character uh and i i just think it was really well done it's a more recent movie out of most of the ones on my list but it made the list 
just because I honestly didn't think that we were going to see Mel Gibson come back and like do something that was like this poignant or like rather this effective, you know, like I don't think he, he hadn't directed anything in like 10 or 11 years. Right. So, uh, well, like since Apocalypto. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and this wasn't that high budget. It was all shot in Australia, I'm pretty sure. Or at least the battle sequence was shot in Australia. Uh, and it was kind of funny. I, I, I was watching the behind the scenes and they basically just gave him this like plot of land and they set up like all the all the dunes cool. and the trenches and stuff. And they were just like, have at it, you know. And uh, they were there for like a week or 10 days or something. And the stuff that came out of that uh, out of that battle sequence, man, it's is really impressive. Really impressive. Like when the Japanese charge and everyone is just exploding and shit vince vaughn is in this movie and he's fucking vince awesome vaughn, yeah yes yeah, like yes there's <clears throat> there's a lot of great things i can say about this movie but uh it made it to number nine just because it's an action movie right it's a patriotic rah rah whatever but uh emotionally it affected me uh a lot uh, something about it, it could have something to do with the main character being like having, having like a really solid Christian base, you know, like I was I was uh, brought up that way. Uh, so like I understand and especially in like a time like the 40s where it's taking place, like I understand why that, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this with the devil all the time. But like, you know, your family is everything and your faith is everything. And this guy goes into like the most hellish of like the hellscapes yeah. ever known. Yeah, he and, does. He sticks through it. He sticks to his values and he comes out the other side. It's a true story. Real emotional. Again, you could say it's emotionally manipulative, uh, patriotic garbage, whatever. But uh, it's a really well-made film and uh, it affected me. And so that's why I made it to number nine. Yeah, it's it's a great film. He really knows how to depict violence on, mm-hmm. on film. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think Braveheart, Apocalypto, you, yeah. um, even The Passion of the Christ. And apparently they're going to do a Passion 2 or Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah we'll see but no i think it's, thank you you brought that up that's uh because he, he does it in a way that it's not glorifying violence at least i don't think it is i mean it, it might be a little bit but uh it, it doesn't feel like cheap you know like uh like the violence is there for the sake of the violence being there like it always feels like it's part of this grander kind of like spiritual arc the the violence is there and it's really gross yeah it is a bit transcendent because you know i think of that that's definitely one of the more debated things about film is like how do you depict violence i remember there was this yeah. this documentary about the rating system in america like you know pg-13r yeah. PG, blah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. and i think it was darren aronofsky was talking about like how he felt like the the kind of comparing like the 90s james bond movies that are hella cartoony and he's just like boom 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 kill 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 killing people really easily and quickly and he felt like that was worse than something right. like Saving Private Ryan, where it's yeah. super brutal, but that's closer to reality. Mm-hmm. Like reality is Saving Private Ryan. It's yeah. brutal. It's bloody. It's nasty. It is horrific. Yeah. And it's probably better to put that in the minds of people and make them understand it, at least from his perspective. And I feel yeah. like Mel Gibson, that's what he does with violence. It's like human beings you know, are violent and we do these things to each other where we, we perpetuate these things on each other. And... You know, you could do the the James Bond stuff like Judo Chop. Oh, you're dead, right? Like, you know, that's a cartoon. That's not reality. When you kill someone, and James Bond is basically an assassin, and a you know, like it needs to be brutal. It needs to look horrific. You need to kind of go like, oh, 
I, don't, yeah. I feel a little bit differently about this guy now that he does these things. I that that's one of my <laughs> biggest problems with James Bond is that it's always just like they don't even use squibs, right? They just mm-hmm. poof, 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 ow, I'm yeah. dead, you know? Like that <laughs> yeah. is, that is, a no. that's always been annoying to me as, as a fan of, you know, I guess you could say bloody movie violence, but I don't know, like something about the, the, the Mel Gibson movies make you, remind you that human beings are bags of meat. <laughs> that like, that's the way that the violence is always approached. And it, maybe it's cathartic sometimes. And then you feel kind of icky about it. It's like, Man, it's awesome that that 50 cal is shredding these dudes, but like they're shredding these dudes. This is fucking yeah. nasty, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh it's interesting, but that's why, you know, I put it on my list. It's a uh, and they made the top 10. I had to cut a lot of movies to put this in here. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a good choice cuz that's a film I, I feel like so. is going to resonate for a long time. I I hope sure. so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Hackasaw Ridge. Great great choice. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, so my number 9, I feel like this is one of if you're going to think about the decade, I feel like this film has to be on the top of the list. And so for me, my number nine is Inception. Um, Inception is just like a film that I remember when it came out, it was huge. People talked a lot about it, a lot. And I was actually in film school at the time. And I'll tell you how big this film was. So like we had it basically at UC Santa Barbara, we have a second run theater that's run by students and like one faculty. And so they sort of, they choose films to come out. Um, right. Well, there's, there's some other politics involved, but anyway, so they, they got the, they, they were able to get inception. Wow. And when inception came out, this was probably like two or three weeks into its run. The line was like absurd and the the movie's free for students. Yeah. But like, I mean, for like a, a, a 100 seat theater, maybe I was probably like five, 600 people showed up to try and see the movie. (laughs) Wow. And then I had a class where we showed it. And the number of people who showed up to see Inception in class was like five, ten times the number of people who had come to see the other movies that we went to see. That's awesome. So, and this is like probably eight, nine months after it's already been in theaters. Like it just resonated so much in the consciousness. Everything about it just worked. The score, which has now become sort of like like the way that they did the trailer. Yeah, it it it, it defines the the era. Like yeah, that that. Every movie for pretty much that entire decade has that blah moment or that yeah. bass drop moment. I, yeah, I think the, the bass drop evolved moment. into the bass drop, but like it has that moment in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every yeah. trailer has that moment. And every trailer is kind of, I feel like it's built like the Inception trailer. Uh, yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Basically. Because like, uh, yeah. there's this formula. It's like, ask a question. The, <laughs> the protagonist. <laughs> the guy says something, you know mysterious yeah. fade to black yeah, yeah fade to black <laughs> but title card <laughs> yeah from director yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 um but like look this and so this again has one of the most iconic shots in all the cinema when they're in that that hallway and things yeah. start turning yep yep i mean that blew people away <laughs> yeah yeah, bringing and, bringing Kubrick to the modern audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's just like uh, two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was like one of the coolest scenes in any movie. Like, and and all of it is, you know, I don't know if you've seen Tenet yet. No, not yet. Okay, so comparing Tenet and Inception is very interesting because I feel like Inception is the type of like they're similar films. They're trying yeah. to do similar things. I would say. Inception does a really, really good job of explaining the rules to the before, audience, but then breaking the rules. Yeah. yeah. But then breaking yeah. them and then sort of like, 
you know, I, I think you spent a lot of time also like creating an emotional connection so that you're not just like, okay, this is interesting, but why should I care? Yeah. Cause you know, Cobb, the main character has a dilemma yeah. and his choices are leading to sort of escalating problems. Um, and that leads them down further into his own sort of moral ambiguous landscape and of his past. And I think that stuff mattered for us to actually care about all the, oh, we're on these five levels down of dreams. <laughs> yeah. You know, because like that, that's what Christopher Nolan cares about is like, okay, so if dreams are a thing, what happens if there's a dream within a dream and then another one? How does you that know work? What's remarkable that's what he loves. This. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about like how big it was at the time in the zeitgeist. Like it is remarkable because, I mean, obviously I saw the movie in theaters. I was – I was there, <laughs> whatever that means. But like, it's remarkable that you can have a plot or or a concept for a movie that's like we're five levels into the dream and they're gonna implant the idea. And uh, people that I knew that like you are not normally. At, what I'm trying to say is that it brought something to the mainstream that like I didn't think was possible or you wouldn't think is possible to have people thinking, you know so abstractly or uh, so like laterally about things in a movie plot. Like it was usually, you know, at the time it was again, mostly GI Joe's that came out in the summers, th those types of movies. So to, to have this movie, I think it helped that the, it came off of the dark Knight because that movie put a lot of people into like a more kind of classic film uh, approach mood. Uh, like that movie was aping a lot of, uh, you know, older eighties movies and stuff like that, or like even forties movies. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but yeah, it was just impressive to me that like I could talk to people that would normally only talk to me about, you know, Spider-Man or whatever that are like, yeah, dude, dream within a dream. Whoa. And like they were they were into it. They got it. Like, that's really impressive, I think. Yeah. And there's the fact that he was able to sell those ideas to people and, and have them consume it and have it work. That's not easy. That is not easy. I'll tell you right now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's impressive that he was able to. And it's not perfect, but it's really good. And. It's it's a super popular film, and yeah. really realistically, this is a heist film. It is. It's I'm a heist film, like heist. straight. It's like a bank robbery kind of film. Yeah, that's exactly what this film is, mixed with a little bit of you know some spy espionage, mm -hmm. um, kind of oh, that scene kind of where he where he walks into that fucking like chateau or whatever where uh, what's his name Ken Watanabe is in there. It, uh, there's like I don't know ninjas or whatever like such. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just came yeah. to mind. <laughs> yeah. It's just so cool. It's it's yeah. like, you know, it's just really cool film and you know, he really pulled it off. And yeah. it's yeah, it's it's like it feels like um it really feels like if he did like James Bond mixed with some like really weird sci-fi fantasy stuff. Yeah, and James Bond wasn't a <laughs> pussy kind of a movie where you could <laughs> kill people and throw them off mountains and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this movie. It's, I, it's I a, love James Bond. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 awesome. Inception. Um, I feel like you have to talk about Inception if you talk about the 2010s. Yeah, because I I, I would say it is it is probably if you talk about t in terms of the 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 perception of the audience of people that actually consume film as media, it has to be number one. I would say probably. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say like, so, so far, like our approaches are very different. Like it seems like, I mean, they're all great movies, but your approach is like uh, the definitive, you know, like this movie's definitive, this movie's definitive, maybe not the whole list, but like so far it's been that way. And my movies are definitely not that they're just good movies that happen to come out in the decade. But uh, this movie, I felt like when I was making my list, like this is absolutely, I mean, the Nolan I think Dark Knight, again, was the catalyst, but like the Nolan craze of the 2010s, I think, started with this movie and everybody like worshipping the ground he walked on. And then they went back through his filmography and they saw, you know, the prestige yeah. and the they, memento. Uh, the memento yeah. And they were like, oh, my God, this man's a genius. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that may have softened a little bit. I've softened on it because I used to think he was literally the best filmmaker ever just of all time right because you get caught up in the hype at the time at least i did i was just like inception is it man it well like, when you go from dark knight to inception plus he's also done memento and and for that and the prestige yeah. that's that's a very strong filmography yeah if you just look at those films that's very strong yeah and it, it so, is to, as far as like who's the guy that's coming out with like new and interesting takes on like old genres or like old <laughs> conventions you know as opposed to all the other filmmakers like it was a moment and i've softened on a lot of his stuff and you're right like they're not perfect none of his movies are perfect i don't think but inception is the one of the ones i think that is like the definitive kind of nolan experience it is the definitive i think yeah. i feel like inception and memento are like if you want to understand what he's about those yeah. two films really tell you a lot about him yeah i would say yeah um and the thing about it too about inception this is a completely new thing it's mm -hmm. not like based it's not like based on a book it's not yeah. based on a comic i mean it is he is kind of taking from like anime and stuff like so it's a bit Matrix. like yeah 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 it's but, one of those moments but like americans you know aside from some people that are often some you know small communities americans are not into anime okay no. if you tell if you tell <laughs> if you did like a live action version of um evangelion to, like 90% of people wouldn't know what that is. They just wouldn't no. know what it is, even though know, like, yeah. like for a lot of people like in Japan or whatever, that's like Evangelion is like in their veins, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it, well, it's in our, it's, it's some of this stuff is in our veins too, in, you know, by way of inception or by way of the matrix or some of these other big yes. original movies that come out. They yes. just, you know, they just don't know. You have to, you have to sneak it into their food, you know, for the yeah, American yeah, yeah, audience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like putting the, um, the vitamins in your food. Exactly. So you just yeah, eat it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. got your bacon and your fucking steak, but like, yeah. here you go. Take some but, Evangelion. This is like a $180, $200 million movie that's based on nothing. And they have to sell all these new ideas to Americans yeah. that are very complicated. Like the dream stuff is very complicated. And the fact that that's something that he does that no one else really, I don't think, does other than maybe like James Cameron. Like someone who can be yeah. given $200, $300 million. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. That's like you're not going to – that's not DC, Marvel – uh, some other IP, some other massive IP or freaking cats or whatever, you know, it, it, they gave the dude like $150 million to make a cats movie and it's a disaster. Yeah. Like, like that no one else other than him, a, a handful of people get to do what, what he did. Yeah. And what he still does. And that, I think that's an, a pretty amazing thing. And that's something, again, another reason why I think this should make the list is like a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so what's your, uh, number eight? Lucian? Yeah. If you, if you sensed a little bit of a, of regret in that last line is because I was, I was 
struggling. I was having the hardest time of like putting the movies that are really truly like deserve to be in the top of anyone's top 10 of the 2010s, right? Inception's one of those movies. Uh, I, I, again, I just chose to go with my, uh, my gut and my experiences. Uh, so my number eight, right, is uh, The Disaster Artist. Uh, oh, again, cool. A, a more recent one. Uh, put it above even the, the action movies and the wish fulfillment because I think it's a really well done. First of all, it's a well-made movie. I think it's a well-directed movie. Uh, it's for those who don't know, it's a movie. It's one of those, it's a movie about a movie, right? It's about the making of a movie. It's about the making of the room. Uh, I'm sure every single person who's watching this knows what the room is. Um, partly helped by this movie because when this movie came out, it brought Tommy Wiseau and uh, Greg Sestera, like it brought them out of hiding basically. And they did a lot of press <laughs> for this. I mean, really, they did a lot of press for this. Uh, it, Tommy Wiseau was at the Golden Globes when uh, that movie was there. Uh, he brought, when James Franco won his award, he brought him up on the stage with them. So like, it really rose. Damn, it, like, that's really nice. Oh yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was there, um, I believe he was sitting in, in like the way back and he like asked him to come up and stuff. Uh, so it was, it was a really cool moment, but like, again, the movie itself, uh, phenomenal, like it's, it's a James Franco directed movie. And if you know anything about his filmography or like the stuff that he makes that could go either way. Like he's usually making like really, really bizarre, like vain or like vanity projects, you know, or like, uh, he's got a lot of celebrity friends so he'll get his celebrity friends to be in his movie for nothing. And he'll do some like shitty movies or he'll like try to adapt something that he has absolutely no business adapting. Uh, he's directed like, I don't know, 30, 40 movies at this point, but the disaster artist, I feel like really hit because it was the correct, book like the correct insanity for the correct like insane guy to make it i feel like uh he got his brother to play greg sestero they have tremendous chemistry in this movie once again allison brie gets pulled in just by virtue of being there being married uh, to yeah, yeah yeah uh there's uh there, again there's a lot of that james franco kind of muscle in this like brian cranston has a fucking awesome cameo <laughs> there's just a lot of funny stuff about this but I think none of that gets lost. Uh, like the, the the message of the movie and the heart of the movie doesn't get lost in all of the shenanigans. And it doesn't play out like a Seth Rogen comedy or like a James Franco comedy, as you would expect it. I feel like out of all of these movies, it has like, it has a heart and it has a message. It like, it's able to transcend a little bit beyond what you expect from these people. And of course, you know, it was nominated for a lot of Golden Globes. I maybe maybe an Oscar. I don't remember for makeup or something. I, I think unfortunately for him, he got he got he got hit with some uh, Me Too right. stuff. Correct. Like Correct. right after that Golden Globe stuff, like he got yeah. destroyed and that nuked any chance. Like if he didn't have that negative press, I think he would have gotten some more nominations. Oh, without a doubt, and without a doubt, he would be making movies the like bigger movies right now. Uh, yeah. Of course, like he would be, he would be probably working with Netflix or something. But uh, I just, I love this movie again. I love the humor of it. It's a great story, especially as aspiring filmmakers, right? Or anybody who's ever had a dream. Like you could, you could, you could take away all of the details out of it, and it's really just about a dreamer who dreams his dream, yes. and he he fucking makes it a reality. And he does right? it, mm -hmm. and that's a really relatable thing. And uh, I do think this is uh, belongs in like a 2010s list. Um, cause yeah. it's just, I don't know. It's just such a great story told in an interesting way by some very, very bizarre people. Yeah. Very bizarre. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny. So I, my girlfriend got me to watch the room about five days ago for the first time. I had never oh, seen it. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't That's see fair. it because yeah, it was, <laughs> totally it fair. was, 
I didn't see it because like I'm not gonna go on my own and watch that movie because mm-hmm. I feel like that's the type of movie. It's like okay, so there's some films that I think are best with an audience, like to really get. I think what you yeah. need out of the film, yeah. uh, or there's a type, certain type of experience. So the one that comes to my mind is Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm. Like there is a type of way you should probably experience that film now. Yeah, and that I mean it, it's like like it's a religion. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the way with Rocky Horror, like you go to a showing and then people will come on on stage, dress in drag, and they'll like say the parts and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that's yeah. how you're actually supposed yeah. to experience Rocky Horror. But I feel like with this, you see it with your friends and you just laugh. You just like have a good time, yeah. blown away by. It. And the movie is like, it. yeah, the movie's like, it, it's like it's so terrible. But like, there are moments where you're like, well, what? And you're laughing, and then there's like this really crazy ADR. Like throughout oh, the movie, yeah, the yeah. ADR is like it, it's it's like watching a Japanese movie, man. Like yeah. where he's saying stuff, he's like, "Oh hi, Lisa, how are you?" <laughs> he's yeah. like, "It's my oh, hi, doggy." Movie. Yeah, yeah, right. Or like, what was the what was the scene where he goes to pick up the flowers? You remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're my favorite customer. <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like, oh, I didn't know it was you. He like pulls up his sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, You're my favorite customer. <laughs> uh, I think yeah, like. I don't want to undersell how atrocious the source material is, right? But I think that's what I like about this movie is that it, it nails from like a realistic standpoint, like when they, that scene where he goes into the uh, to rent the equipment and the guys are like, all right, so you shooting this on film or digital? And he's like, both. And they're like, you cannot do both. Or like at first he's like, uh, how, okay, we whatever, we rent you the equipment. He's like, I won't buy the equipment. Like, no one buys the equipment in Hollywood. Like, and it, that's, a rea- that's, a, that's a reality, right? And he's like, no, 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 I buy the equipment. He's like, you can't buy the equipment. But anyway, what are you shooting it on? He's like, I'm doing everything. You know? Like, it's such an amazing oh my story. God. It's such an amazing story. The way and that- like he has these deep pockets. He has all this money. And no one knows where the money came from. <laughs> yeah. No one knows. But like he has all this money so he can just do whatever he wants. And the, and they don't have the answer to that question. Like Tommy Wiseau is never really like he has never told anyone. So the no movie one knows. also they do like there's this great scene where Seth Rogen he plays the uh, per, uh, was it the continuity supervisor or something in the in the for the film he goes to cash his check and he's just like surely like the, whatever it's like, not, gonna not gonna work go. yeah. Yeah, and the, there's he's like has a back and forth with the seller. He's like, yeah, this account it's bottomless, <laughs> and he's like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's that's what's so interesting about his story is like it's like the guy just came out of nowhere, just just appeared from thin air in his forties. <laughs> in his forties, he's like, I want to star in this movie. I want to make yeah. this movie. I have the money. I'm going to do it. And and, and the world's trying to tell him no, but he's not going to take no for an answer. He's going to do it. Yeah, and honestly, that's all of us, you know. Hollywood yeah. tell me to fuck off, but I showed up and I want to make my movie. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't give a damn what you have to say. I'm gonna do it. I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Period. So for all of those reasons, uh, and again, the personal connection to the story, and also because I saw the room with a bunch of friends, and to see it deconstructed by a, a, I would say an equally insane but successful person, uh, it was it was a treat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like. It's, it's good that you put that one on your list because that is like, I feel like the room now it, it's, it's, it's reached a level where it's one yeah. of those films where people like watch it because they get something out of it. It's actually funny and fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And we think about so many films that are made that are just like, whatever, like just, just disappear. Right. Yeah. That have bigger stars that have bigger names. Oh, that have bigger budgets. 
We were talking yeah, about keep... stealth last week. Yeah, stealth. I mean, Ooh. in like, in like, in like another. I mean, now today, no one knows that the movie exists. Basically, no one knows that movie. They have like 150 million dollar budget. It had huge stars. It would be lucky if it made it to trending on Netflix. Yeah, it would be. Right? It would be a miracle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like you put the room on Netflix. Number one. Number one. Number one, dude. Number one that weekend. I promise you, people are gonna be like, "What the fuck is this movie?" Especially like if they did something where they had like um, Tommy and uh, and what's his name like the like the James Franco like do a thing afterward, so oh, it plays yeah. after and they talk about the film and talk about making it like it would be huge. Yeah, yeah, it would yeah, be yeah, huge. And Netflix does a really good job when they put one thing up. They they'll get like the ancillary stuff. Like when the Irishman went up, like all the Scorsese movie or like a lot of Scorsese movies got put up. You know things like that. So it could totally work, but. Yeah, it's just a weird story, and it's. I think it was the right time to tell it. Like, there was enough time for the room to kind of like peak and then go under and then peak again, and so yeah. Yeah, crazy story. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. If you haven't seen, if you haven't seen it, obviously you should check it out. Yeah, check it out. It, like, see the room with friends for sure, and yeah, you could probably just watch a disaster artist. Yeah. Um, on its own. Mm-hmm. You could. Yeah, they do. A, they do a shot for shot remake of a lot of the stuff in the movie, and then at the end of the movie, they show direct comparisons uh, from it. So you really, you really, really, really get the the sense of like what the insanity that was going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's some crazy stuff. Yeah. All right, cool. So my number eight is the movie Moonlight. Yeah. So okay. um, see the definitive twenty ten. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> so Moonlight. Moonlight is a absolutely beautiful film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I watched it sort of randomly. Um, I mean, I'd heard a lot about it. And Same, then, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, and I think I saw it before the Oscar, because this was part of the Oscar fiasco. Yeah. Uh, and absolutely, like, like, you want to talk about definitive, that the Oscar thing is among the craziest things that has ever happened on live television, probably. <laughs> I'm glad I got to see it live. It's, it's up there with, like, the, the nipple slip from the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, that was one of the absolute nightmares that you could think of. Because, look, if it was, like, best sound design, oops, we got the wrong one. I don't think anyone cares. But when you get the best picture wrong, that <laughs> is a disaster. And then there's all the forensic of why and this and that. And like, oh, the design on the thing was bad. Yeah, there was like an oh, investigation. Yeah, and then some people blame Leo. They said, oh, Leo, well, he gave him the wrong thing and then blah, blah, blah. Well, then they blamed, uh, what, what's his name? Fucking, uh, oh, it, Warren, Warren Beatty. Beatty. Yeah, Warren like, oh, <laughs> these old boomers can't even read, like. That's Warren Beatty. You show your horn around, son of a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's like, I gave. I don't know. Faye gave me the envelope. It was yeah. Faye's fault. Like, yeah, oh, it's God. like he blames her. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, whoa, this is so yeah. that. So it gets caught up in that stuff, right? So that that is the unforgettable part. But this movie is good. This movie is really good. It's very <laughs> emotional. Awesome. Yeah. Um, this is like one of the first times we get to see Jarrell Jerome. Jarrell, Jarrell Jerome is one of the he's going to do amazing things. I hope and so. he's continued to do great things. I don't know if you've seen uh, When They See Us, but his performance in that is unbelievable. He won an Emmy for it. But this guy, this guy can act. And like yeah. you could tell he just has it. And I don't know how old he was in this film. He's probably like a teenager, but he is incredible. I mean the acting's incredible. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. 
the level of emotionality that you get out of this film yeah. is just, it's just, it's so, I think you, we had talked about this before. You said there was like some scenes where you felt like you were almost looking in on something that was really yeah, happening. Like, I, like there were a couple moments in this film where I felt like I shouldn't be there. Yeah. And, and that's like a weird feeling to get when you're watching a movie. Cause I've like, we've watched a lot of movies, <laughs> Yeah, uh, but just being like being in that house with the crack addicted mom. And I was just like, I, is this okay? Like, I don't, I don't want to yeah. be here right now. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff is like that stuff is raw. Like those yeah. scenes are just really raw, and you're like, "Ooh, this is, yeah. ooh. you know." Because like there are sometimes, um, I felt like this this like when you watch like the Bicycle Thieves, something like mm -hmm. that, like the the Italian neorealism where they get like the real act, the real people to be actors, yeah, and they're yeah. just replaying their lives, yeah. Where there's but it reaches this level of authenticity that's like above normal film performances. Mm -hmm. where it 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 like it almost breaks what film usually does i it's feel like this film gets very to that hard level. yeah very hard to put your finger on it or to even describe i feel like uh but i know what you're talking about yeah yeah this film has that in spades and it's just it's just it's well shot the acting's amazing the directing is amazing and i just feel like it's just one of those movies that it just it's just something about it is so definitive and beautiful and strong and compelling yeah. That um yeah, it's just it's just an amazing, amazing film. And just like all the actors that he got. I mean, like yeah. Mahershala is in it. Um the Damn one Harris. the person yeah. Um I think Janelle Monet's in it. Um, like I said, Jarrell Jerome's in it. There's another young actor, I forget his name, who's in this film. Um, who's really good. But there's a lot of the like the acting's are great and the directing's great. Yeah. It's just like a must see film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Barry Jenkins. I have you seen a oh oh no did I lose you did I <laughs> oh no Aww. hey what happened I think well so my computer like overheated oh okay so as long as it's not on my end you know yeah I it's not on your it. end it's Yay. not it's not your fault at all <laughs> it's my fault my computer sucks um, um, we got it back up pretty fast and we're able to still go live. Yeah, on the same we're thing? still, we're still on, on the same thing. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Um, okay. Yeah. So like I said, that's my number eight. Yeah. Um, you, you died right on Barry Jenkins. You're just like, <laughs> yeah. Barry Jenkins. And then like, Barry you had Jenkins. this like face. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. Frozen like face of like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's my number eight moonlight. Barry yeah. Jenkins. Great director. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitive, definitive 2010s list from you so far. Uh, what are we at? Number seven? It's number seven. What's your number seven? Number seven, baby. Uh, I feel like this should, could, and absolutely, absolutely is a definitive 2010s movie. It's got to be. I don't care what anyone says. It has to be. It is John Wick. Uh, all right. They killed his fucking dog. They killed uh, his dog. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, we talked a little bit about John Wick last week, I believe. <laughs> uh, yes. I don't know if it was before or after we started recording but um john wick to me symbolizes again like you can kind of sense a pattern like there was expendables and then that like kind of died out you know and then there was this new kind of uh, wave of blockbusters with the marvels and fast and furious being i'm pretty sure the only other franchise that was like rival live rivaling marvel kind of at that level but oh, it was you know, sure it was its For own. Sure. It's its own yeah. thing, you know. It's its own original thing, which is insane to think about. <laughs> uh, but they're but they're all like two hundred and fifty million dollar productions, globe trotting adventures, right? Uh, John Wick comes in after the fall of the Expendables and after the uh, the rise of uh, these like hyper polished uh, 
big budget, you know, designed by committee almost movies. Uh, John Wick comes in. It's a small little action movie that is incredibly tight. So tight. So well directed. Um, it was a collaboration, again, between Keanu Reeves and his Matrix buddies, uh, his, uh, particularly his stunt coordinators. Uh, these guys broke onto the scene. They hadn't directed a film before, I'm pretty sure. Uh, they broke onto the scene and they they gave the people what they wanted man they gave yeah. them they gave them neo from the matrix doing neo things but in like and they set up i think the 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 thing that goes underappreciated about the first john wick is that it sets up this universe yes. of this assassin culture and you get it like you get it right off the bat there's the continental hotel there's these weird coins that they deal in there's these like uh, rules of honor kind of you know and if you break them you die kind of a thing uh, everybody is an assassin. Everybody can kill you, you know, just by in a in a heartbeat, you know. And there's like all this kind of rules of honor and stuff. Uh, Ian McShane is in this. Uh, he plays yeah. great, great, great role for him. And he has been doing a lot of these kind of like side characters in big movies. And I feel like this movie comes in perfectly at like the mid range. And then it just by virtue of being so well executed, it it escalated from like it got bigger from there. Like John Wick now is a franchise. It's a household yes. name. We were talking about how. Uh, it made it into the top 10 of the top 10 grossing films of 2019, John Wick Chapter 3. But in the beginning, this movie was, this could have been something that goes on Hulu, you know, and you don't even, you don't pay it much mind. It's like a stylized kind of, oh, great, you know, they got some LED lights and they made an action movie. Like, that's impressive. Like, this is, this is not that. This is hyper, hyper, hyper focused. Everybody who's working on this movie, you can feel, wants to be in this movie. Uh Michael Nimquist, who unfortunately passed away, the, who plays the bad guy in this movie. He, well, really, he's not really the bad guy. He's the bad guy by he's forced to yeah. be the bad guy because his son does a shitty thing. And it wouldn't have been that big of a deal, you know, except they killed his dog. And there's yeah. this great, 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 great moment of a great actor when he's on the phone with John Leguizamo. Right. And he's just like, yeah, what the fuck did he do? Like, you hit my son. You're like, why? Why? And he's like, you don't understand. Like, they killed his dog. And the only reply is just like, oh. And it's not like a yeah. funny, oh, it's like not done for laughs. It's just like that. that oh, you're that dead. Moment, he, he like understands. He's just like, there's, I can't get out of this. I can't get yeah. out of this. Yeah. And it's such a weird like setup for, for an action movie. But I could talk. I could, you know, I could blow John Wick all day. But uh, <laughs> it's just I do think it belongs uh, in the 2010s again as the kind of towering example going against these like big um, – Again, these big, like, designed by committee, 12 writers in the writer's room movies. Uh, this is just a hyper-focused, hyper-well-executed action movie. I really like that you brought this film up because it, it, it's so successful and it is so kind of... I, so when I think of this film, so there's, there's like, the Transporter films. And then yeah. there's also, like, Taken. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this is another yeah. film that's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Like the setup is kind of the same. It's all this one guy who's able to do all this stuff. Uh, but what makes John Wick so different, first off, the setup with the dog stuff, that's really fun. The universe is so rich. Yeah. Like you said, yeah. from the jump, like there's, there's, those other movies don't really have that. True. It's just taken. It's just a guy who's like, I have skills and I'm going to fucking kill yeah. you. I mean, okay. even in taken, there's like a, there's like an underbelly of like these human traffickers. Right. But it's just, not paid the same level of attention and granted it that movie's different but like like you said like from the jump like we understand the rules of this world which is impressive uh, we yeah. just talked about inception yeah yeah it's impressive and the stunts and and this is a hard r yeah this oh, is an r 
Like Ooh. those other films, they I, I don't know if Taken's an R or not. No, it's not. But it doesn't it doesn't feel like it. Even if it was, didn't feel like not like John Wick. No, the director's cut kind of does, but yeah. Yeah, John, John that that was thank you for bringing that up too. That was a breath of fresh air also. They're like, don't get me wrong, I love the Fast and Furious and the Marvel <laughs> movies, but I, I I needed something that was again like the expendables had gone away and those guys were shredding people with machine guns and it was goofy and it was kind of yeah. over the top. And then John Wick came along and was was doing these things, but like it was gritty and uh, stylized and it was really cool. Yeah, there's this one like YouTuber I really like, like what he calls his like films that scratch the itch. Mm. That level of violence. Mm-hmm. It's when you scratch, when you see that when you see someone get killed or like you see like a really brutal sh- like they get shot in the face and it's like oh yes. it's so weird because we're just talking about hacksaw ridge and how like that's that's violent violence but it's like gross violence and this is pre- this is gross violence but like you you're like yeah cha-ching like but, but <laughs> the reason why is like we're sold they kill the dog we're True. like kill them all kill True. all of them and if it was like if it was like they killed his wife. Do we feel the same if they killed, I don't know, his grandma or something? How many, yeah. how many How many movies, right? Like how many Steven Seagal movies they killed his wife or Jean-Claude Van Damme movies? Yeah. Yeah, I think dog. the fact that they, they killed the dog, we're like, okay, kill everybody. And, <laughs> and as brutal as possible, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it might sound played out at this point. And which is again, I, I think to me super impressive that the concept of they killed his dog already sounds like it's something that's been played out, uh, where it's something that this movie pretty much brought as like a fresh kind of a thing to the kind of revenge thriller uh, genre. I mean, they always they always kill somebody's son or somebody's wife or daughter or whatever. Um, but yeah, the the dog thing like is really still hits. I think in this movie, if you watch it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's the impetus for the whole franchise. <laughs> yeah. They kill the dog, and then a bunch of other things happen that suck him deeper into the world. But yeah. if they didn't kill his freaking dog, none of it happens. He's yeah. still retired, and he's happy. Yeah. The the dog in the world uh, is is what really cements this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's um, my number seven. Cool. All right. So my number seven, I, I debated having this film on it or not. I had it with another film that I'm going to talk about in my honorable mentions. But this was a film where... I don't know. There's just so much about it that I think sort of I need, I really wanted to put it on my list. So I decided to do it. So my number seven is the tree of life. Oh, the, okay. The, yeah. The film, um, man, I did this last week. I forget what, what the director's name is. Terry Malick. Yeah. Yeah. Terrence Malick. So Terrence Malick is a very interesting director for a number of reasons. Oh yeah. So he made two films in the seventies that are great films, Badlands. And um, the other one is, I forget the name of the other one. Uh, I always forget it too. Days of Heaven. Days of Heaven. Yeah. Uh So those two films are like brilliant. Uh, And then he just went away for like 25 years. Um, And meanwhile, some, there were rumors about films he was going to do. One of them was the movie was literally called at first called Q, just called Mm. Q. Mm. And it was supposed to be about the beginning of the universe and all this other stuff. And yeah, it was, I mean, the stuff you heard about, what what the tree of life was supposed to be was crazy it was yeah. crazy and um you know he does come back and then he does the thin red line and then he did uh the new world and then he finally did this le- basically legendary movie that we've been hearing about for 20 years which is the tree of life yeah um and so he you know the 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 cat this, i feel like this is one of the first jessica chastain movies 
I mean, this, this, I mean, it's it's at the beginning of her. This put upcoming, her on the map. Yeah, yeah. Like before this, she was kind of whatever. Then she was like kind of a name. Well, Brad I think Pitt's correct. It, correct me if I'm wrong. That movie came out in 2012. The official release is 2011. 2011. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was right there. Right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They probably were shooting it even earlier, but oh, for sure, for sure. Who God? God knows how long he spends in post. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he basically rewrites his movie in post well, every time. Not to jump ahead, but that, that's one of my problems with this movie is uh, I don't know which fucking version to watch. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my problems with it. Uh, it's like, I want to watch like the biggest six-hour version. Give it to me, Terry. You know? <laughs> well, there's, there's, a, there's a Criterion three-hour cut. Yeah. And what I saw in theaters was probably like a two-hour-ish cut. Yeah. Two, maybe two, probably like 245 or 230. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like in the end, you know, what you're what you're getting in in the extended versions is just more of the poetic, meditative stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The the what he's trying to do thematically is always going to be there throughout because yeah, like there's some there's some I remember I just rewatched it recently. There's some shots in this movie that I'm just like, I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't yeah. know where I am. I don't know what time I'm at. But it's like breathtakingly amazing. Uh, there's like a shot where it's like you're like looking at a galaxy, but you're like behind a rock. I know that shot. I love yeah. that shot. Yeah. And so the reason why they got these shots is like the guy who who did some of the special effects for 2001. I think this was like the last film he ever did. Mm-hmm. He got that guy mm-hmm. back to work for him on this film, and that I think those are shots that he came up with. And and those are like practical shots. It's like fucking crazy. Yeah. Um. So there's there, this movie is like all over the place. <laughs> In a lot of ways, it is. <laughs> it's all over the place. It's hard to like. There's not really a narrative, because like he at this point he sort of transcended doing narrative movies. I, no, <laughs> like that's, that's just too to low for him. That's like, a good way to put like, it. Like that's for mere mortals and like you know it's, like it's, Days of Heaven and and um, Badlands. They had a narrative. He's done with that. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the the new world was the uh, the the straw that broke the camel's back. Is like, oh, this is another movie about Native Americans. W- what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> what is what like, happening? He has no interest in creating a narrative anymore. He's looking for for poetic moments and and building poetry. But like this movie has some of the most beautiful shots ever in the history of cinema. This is one shot where Jessica Chastain, I don't know what the hell, where they are. Are they in heaven? I think I are they in the afterlife? Yeah. Are they somewhere where she's walking into the, like the sun or something? And the, yeah. it's like a low angle. That's one of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, you know, you're going to like, a lot of people are going to watch this film and be like, what the fuck is going on? They're not going to understand it. They're not going to get it. They may not be able to really piece, piece together some meaning from it. But if you can go in and, understand that you're like kind of just consuming poetry through cinema. Mm-hmm. That's what this film is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this is th- the fact that we even got this film is kind of a miracle. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, it's been talked about for decades, decades, like at least 25 years, this film had been talked about before it came it, out. I feel like it, it's been talked about in the decade since it came out uh, with the Criterion re-release and, you know, Terrence Malick has been re you know, releasing more movies and making, just ma- just doing his thing, you know, and whether this is, this like, is, a like lot of the ones don't hit, but this is like the yeah. definitive experience, right? The 2010s was, I think his most prolific decade. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. So at least like from, uh, so he did like five films between 
the new world and whatever the like the the hidden life he did like five or six films. I mean, the the most he's ever put out in yeah. any time period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, he's been very, very prolific during this time. Yeah. The the one thing that uh I, I wanna like pin to the to this movie is that uh yeah, it is it is one of those things you gotta have to be in a mood, you're right. So you're just watching you're watching poetry, you're watching a painting, whatever you wanna however you wanna describe it. Um but to go back to the Ad Astra discussion we had last week, uh this movie has Brad Pitt in it. And so yeah. I don't know how it was sold at the time, but all I know is that one of my, I'll go ahead and say is my best friend, right? The guy I've known the longest, he's not really a movie guy, like not a movie buff or anything. Like he'll watch the occasional, you know, Inception or whatever. Uh, but most of his movies have come through me. And then uh, one time he, I don't remember if he called me or we were talking on the phone already or something. And this was a great, great moment because, again, this dude just doesn't really watch movies, but he was like uh, – and his family especially. They're super, 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 super conservative, religious, whatever. Uh, and his family, they don't really watch a lot of movies. He, we were talking on the phone, and he's just like, yeah, so uh, I watched this movie uh, last night called The Tree of Life with, uh, with my sister and everything. And I was like, oh, boy. I was like, you watched it? Like, you watched the whole thing? He was like, dude. I was like, I cried. Like, I felt – I was emotional. And I was just like, that, that is amazing to me. Like that made me so happy that like something like this was, a, and, and, I, and I know why they watched it. They watched it because Brad Pitt was in it. A hundred percent, that's why. Yeah. Because they didn't know, like they would just rent movies at the time. It was like, ah, this one's got this, so-and-so, this is, you know. Like I remember watching, uh, what, like The Sentinel with them, with Michael Douglas. Like it's just because there's actors in it. Uh, and so, yeah, like they, they picked this movie up because Brad Pitt was in it. And then they came out of it two hours or three hours later. And they yeah. were like, <laughs> Whoa, I felt something. And that's yeah. that's just such a great moment when that can happen, when a movie can uh, can break through uh, to – it doesn't have to break through to the masses, but it has to – it breaks through to a couple people and they appreciate the art of it. And uh, that was that was a really – that's my anecdote I have uh, about this movie. Yeah, I – you know, I, I heard a lot about this. I remember when I was – I was – again, this was another one. I was in college. I took my girlfriend to it. She didn't really get it. Yeah. Um, I watched it a few <laughs> times. I don't think I really got it. But I appreciated it. I, I really I certainly didn't get it. Yeah, when I saw yeah. it. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciated it a lot. Um, and it's again, it's one of the. It's a difficult film, but when you talk about like the critical consensus, this is a film that is going to be talked about for basically forever. I would say. Um, yeah, I think I think I, it has that power. That staying yeah, power. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like a, you know, it's it's funny because I when I think about like like. The Tree of Life is probably like the number one critical film of the of the decade, or at least pretty close. Um, and, the, and the number one, in, like of the popular film, was like Inception. And just thinking yeah. about how different those films are, yeah. And it's just I don't know. It's just funny to me thinking about like like how those these two things exist in the same universe at the same time. Yeah, and it I basically have... kind of came out the same year, almost. <laughs> almost. I have a pick like that too. I have a pick that's just like, is this even the same medium anymore? You know, yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, the tree of life, uh, Terrence Malick. Um, and it's probably, it's probably one of his most well-regarded films actually. Yeah. As well. Yeah. So yeah. So that's my number seven. So what's cool. your number six? Ooh, my number six, my number six represents, um, all of the, the there was a lot of Villeneuve that I had to, to, to pick that this was really his decade yes. of, uh, coming out, uh, getting those big budgets, <clears throat> those Hollywood, uh, Hollywood pictures. Starting with Prisoners, I believe, and goddamn, Prisoners is a strong movie. Yeah, it's uh, good. I, I liked all of them. I liked Enemy. I liked so basically it came down to Arrival 
and this movie. Mm-hmm. And Arrival made me cry like a little baby, dude. Like I bawled in the theater and there's reasons for that. But like that, the way that that movie did the whole, I mean, it's, it, it's a little hokey, I guess. But like when it comes to the real, the revelation at the end, it's just like, it's kind of like one of those, like it was love Murph. It was love. But like, for whatever reason, the way that Arrival did it with its spooky aliens it got to me. Uh, but I had to choose. So to represent uh, his, his entire thing, uh, I got to put Blade Runner 2049 on here. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the one that uh, ironically I've seen more than all the other ones <laughs> because it's the longest one and people ragged on this movie. They were, this is so slow. It's boring. Yeah. I, heard that one, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw it with a lot of my friends who thought the original Blade Runner was slow and boring, which <laughs> I understand, I yeah. guess. Um, so if, so again, these are like the same people that like kind of in the same vein of the people, like my friend who saw the tree of life and he was just like, Whoa, like he hadn't really experienced that kind of thing before. And people were not ready for this from this movie. I don't think because they, uh, you know, blade runner is kind of the thing that I feel like a lot of people know about it or it's on their minds or they know it as like the kind of visual template for a lot of the cyberpunk shit that they see. They know like it all came from this mythical thing called Blade Runner, but a lot of people I feel like haven't seen it. Like the the Inception fans, I feel like a lot of them probably haven't seen the original Blade Runner. Uh, So this movie being out, like being a new kind of take on it, you got Ryan Gosling in it, like Harrison Ford is back. He had just been back in Star Wars and, you know, they're they're still talking about Indiana Jones. So everyone's like, ah, fucking woo, Harrison Ford. Uh, Denis Villeneuve, you know, he did Sicario. Like that was that was a success, right? Um, so all of these things played into it. Warner Brothers gave it this massive, massive. budget. Uh, they they did some uh, cross media promotion. They had all these like the some of these animated shorts preceding it. Jared Leto's in this movie, like a lot of stuff going for it. And then it came out, and then it was truly a Denis Villeneuve movie. <laughs> it was truly a Blade Runner sequel. I feel like even more contemplative than the first one. Uh, and I love that, obviously. Um, maybe not obviously, because we haven't gotten to the rest of my list. But now we're getting... So we've gotten all the action shit out of the way uh, and, like, the silly stuff. And now we're getting into the real contemplative stuff that I like. And, uh, again, this movie represents Arrival and it represents a, a couple other movies from Villeneuve that I liked this decade. But it's a Blade Runner sequel. Uh, Ridley Scott signed off on it, right? He's my favorite director of all time. And... Uh, there's a lot we could talk. I'm sure you have a lot to say about Blade Runner. Uh, I don't want to get too into the weeds with it, but uh, I didn't. Is it too long? Is it too this and that? I don't care. The, the mood that it gives me and the kind of the mode that it puts you in, like it puts you like it puts your brain into like a different <laughs> wavelength. Yeah, and you just kind of sit there for a while. And uh, I mean, granted, it has some action and some stuff, but like I think it nailed the mood and uh, it just makes makes you think about, you know, humanity or whatever existing whatever you want to say yeah. yeah so when we talked about ad astra i talked about like how every time i saw that movie there was someone asleep next to me yeah um fair this i had a similar <laughs> experience with uh, me and my girlfriend we watched this uh somewhere in like we're, uh, I, I don't even know where we were in the east bay where we saw this movie and i i love this movie i love this movie a lot and it's going to show up later on my list um, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, people just, I, this was another one people kind of didn't get. I, I saw it like twice. One time someone was kind of asleep. The second time someone was actively, <laughs> actively snoring next yeah. to me, actively <laughs> snoring. And unlike at Astra, there wasn't a monkey that showed up where it was just like that moment that woke him up. Yeah. Uh, this movie didn't have that. So the pe- people just kept sleeping. True. Um, yeah, I, but I never found this movie boring. 
Neither did at I. all. I mean, the, it definitely takes you places. Like the, I feel like the film. There's a turn this film takes where, like, when Kay believes that he's like kind of the prophet or whatever, mm-hmm. like, and 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 the story is taking you in that direction, like that. Like that, I remember that was a real moment where I was like, "Whoa, what the fuck is this movie doing?" Like, I'm really kind of on the edge of my seat. Mm. Um, but then it kind of meanders a bit. It meanders um, a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I feel like it, it has direction. Like, I can see oh, it's absolutely. going somewhere. You know, I can. And it, yeah. <laughs> the only the only thing I'll say about this movie is that the ending, it like the end fight is really interesting <laughs> where yeah. like he where, where he has that moment where he goes and he sees joy mm-hmm. which is which is one of one of the greatest names for a character yeah ever yeah if if, if you really understand what that acronyms could stand for mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway so he goes and he sees her and then she, he realizes that it's all kind of bullshit or whatever but then he's like i I, my purpose is to like to fight for this other thing and so he intervenes and that fight which is great but it just it feels a little hollywood yeah a little I, bit. That, that was exactly what i was gonna say yeah feels a little hollywood but i don't care because it's it's the thing about it is like this is a roger deacons shot denny villeneuve directed film right How can and, you... and they're like at the top of their game it is yeah. unbelievable yeah and so and the way they shot that scene is so good so you're like, okay, maybe this is a little Hollywood, but this is like what's good about Hollywood. It's it's beautiful. It's artistic. It's dramatic. It's everything I want. And it didn't make any money. <laughs> well, it did. It 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 no, did it, okay. I would say it did. Yeah, but it it didn't. You but know. they're not. But they're but they're but they're not going to make another one <laughs> anytime soon. No. But if it really did well, they would have made another sequel. Yeah. But it probably was about because. Again, now he's going to do Dune. So I don't think they would have done Dune if this movie made no money. True. but And I think it's for the better that way. I don't think – we don't need a Blade Runner every three or four or even five years. We need a Blade Runner every 30 years, right? <laughs> if That's even kinda, that. If even that, yeah. yeah. I mean like, this – this so like – what and the thing for me going into this movie, I was like, why would you ever want to do a sequel to Blade Runner? Yeah. It just, it just felt like something where you couldn't get anything good out of it. Um, I was no, I'm on the opposite end of that. I was, I, I've always wanted a Blade Runner sequel only because I feel like the original one was so underappreciated. And if you did something, something to sex it up to kind of bring it to modern audiences, uh, but then I realized I was wrong because this movie did not do that. Uh, it just, it did Blade Runner kind of it, it, the same way, like it, it, it fired up the soup again, and then it just let you simmer in that soup for three hours, uh, which is, which yeah. is a lot better than because my mind automatically goes to like, what if we get like a star Wars set in the blade runner universe? Right. Like in that, like that's a really solid world that they built with the, uh, you know, like there's a lot of, you could do corporate intrigue and espionage and things like that. And ultimately, you know, the story is about what it means to be human. And I'm glad that they keep, they kept it at that. Um, Cause for me, you know, I was just like, ah, fucking make blade runner again, but add explosions. And I'm glad that they didn't do that. And I was wrong. <laughs> yeah um yeah i'm really i'm really impressed by the movie like what it did the more i watch it the more i love it there's just Same. it's just so beautiful Same. it's so well shot just everything about it's great yeah so cool onwards. Yeah. all right so my number six is the social network yeah. and so um we were talking about this a little bit before we went on air but this uh quentin tarantino was like kind of i guess they're slowly releasing through some podcast uh, his top 10 films of the decade. And he said this was his number one film by far. 
I feel like this is a film that is going to be talked about a lot for a number of reasons. I feel like it, it really speaks to the ethos of, of our, our time. Yeah. And, um, and it's funny because it came so early. This movie came out 10 years ago. And this is ultimately the one that has kind of defined where we are at this point in yeah. time still. Yeah. 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 And I think it was it was a bit prescient because, you know, yeah. there's a lot of things we didn't know about the potential of where the world was going, about, you know, Zuckerberg and Facebook and what it was going to become. And folks, we're here. <laughs> yeah, we're here. Um, we're here now. Facebook is like the fifth or sixth highest by market cap company in the world. Yeah. And he's super rich because of Facebook. Um, and yeah, this movie just details sort of a, a, a origin story of Mark as a person and why he did it, at least what the film posits. Yeah. Um, and again, this, this is one of the, this is probably one of the greatest scripts of all time from, yeah. uh, Sorkin, from what's right? his name? Yeah. Aaron Sorkin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I saw this, there's this really funny, um, video on YouTube where they talk about Sorkinisms. Yeah. Like he has these recurring lines of dialogue and recurring, there's recurring like themes mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. There's this weird stuff about, I forget what it is, but the stuff about chickens, something oh, about weird. like, like, Oh, you gotta like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to like hold a chicken or something. And then he pays that off <laughs> in this movie where like, uh, what's his name is like holding a chicken because he has to join this frat or whatever. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, when you see it, you're like, what? He put that into this movie? It's, it's, it's so funny. Um, but anyway, like, I think, I think this, uh, this, this film is, like, super brilliant. <laughs> I'm like, I'm... Uh, there you go. It doesn't, it doesn't, like... It's super bright behind me. Um, well, now you're anyway. super bright, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, like, this film is really well written. I mean, the first, what, like, ten minutes of this movie is just... Some oh, of the most brilliant writing ever, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just so good. And getting the combination of Aaron Sorkin and um, David Fincher, I mean, they really knocked it out of the Wild. park with this. Wild, yeah. Um, and I, I just, what I think really works about this film, like thematically, I think it really speaks to sort of, like I said, the ethos and like, sort of the problems of our era where you have a guy who does some things that are like kind of morally ambiguous did he really steal from them i don't know maybe maybe not i mean you know the character even says look if you want to invent facebook you would have done it you wouldn't have stolen it from me mm-hmm. like you guys had a shitty idea i had a better idea and i just mm-hmm. went with it right yeah, yeah. um but, and what i like too is like the the what is it the sean parker character like really lays it down is like no you you don't need this thing isn't going to make you a millionaire it's going to make you a billionaire and I think putting that out there, like that's the real dream now for people is like to create something that's going to make you that rich. Because- and, and, it's, and it's all within Silicon Valley, right? All within tech companies. Because tech companies is, if yes. you would have made this movie in the 80s, I think it would have been Wall Street, right? I think this movie is that. Yeah, you would have been, yeah, you would have been a day trader or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it's like you said, it's prescient. And uh, I think, uh, just to add a little thing to it, I think it's underselling a little bit to say, oh, it's just a biopic about Mark Zuckerberg because you've seen so many other biopics and you th- you can you can even go all the way down to like a Lifetime original movie, you know, the story of Zuckerberg. Uh, but really, yeah, really putting uh, the, everything you just said, like really getting the idea into people's heads of like the kind of paradigm shift that this movie represents is is the, the, the real strength and kind of the horror of it too. 
Yeah, the fact that someone who is a weird, anti-social, very arrogant, um, like 20-something-year-old guy can create billions of dollars and, and that's just that's just dollars. the surface that's, that's just the surface, surface. yeah, yeah like you, you 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 could talk about like the the powers that the are power. controlling the like the facebook is one of the powers that is controlling everything you can make that argument now uh really yeah really sets the stage <laughs> yeah i mean i mean the like fi- like facebook has so much power that he could use it. I mean, he won't because he's just going to use it to make money, which is, you know, sort of more ambiguous. Honestly, probably for the best. <laughs> probably for the best, yeah, because he could literally use it to change people's opinions about different things. Yeah, he could He could be a Dr. Evil yeah. in, in a flash. <laughs> just straight up, he could be like, I'm going to make everyone um, hate cheese. Yeah. And just well, flood he- your... Oh, cheese makes you get cancer. Cheese is bad. She blah, blah, He's blah. got his fingers on those dials. He could absolutely, he could, he could blast you that way. Yeah. Yeah. And just blast you with ads. The amount of information that Facebook has and generates is so valuable, so valuable. And yeah, th- this, you know, and it all started because some guy got dumped. He got mad. Right. He yeah. created this, this thing. It's like the hot or not thing. Yeah, yeah, hot or not. And then later on, he kind of gets this idea, and then he goes with it. And then it becomes one of the most powerful media companies in human history. Yeah. And I think it's it's still to this day, to me, it's amazing that this movie came out when it did. That it came out 10 years ago, and where we are today. And you could trace all of it back to, to the way that it was depicted in that movie even. And you could say like a lot of people, there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of like litigations, right? Of like, this isn't true. The, the Vanderwinkles or whatever, or like this is bullshit. This is not bullshit. Yada, 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 yada. But I think like ultimately the message of the film, like the tone that it's set, uh, like, cause it's a David Fincher film. So it's gotta have that, like, it makes your skin crawl a little bit and you don't know why. <laughs> I think now in 2020, we kind of know why. Uh, so yeah. I think that's the most impressive thing about this movie is that it came out when it did when Facebook really, it was a big deal, but it wasn't like, it wasn't public. It, yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, it wasn't public. It wasn't like altering people's opinions about reality in a way. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, very prescient. And again, one of the, one of the best scripts of the decade for sure. Yeah. Of a film. Cool. Yeah. So what's your number five? Yeah. I like, yeah, your list is uh, pretty definitive so far. I'd say what's my number five. My number five is black Swan. Oh now, yes. Yeah. We're getting into the, uh, into the subconscious here into mm-hmm. my subconscious, at least um, black Swan, Darren Aronofsky's black Swan. What can I say about this movie? Uh, I, it was, I had seen Requiem for a dream and that kind of fucked me up a little bit. Uh, and then this movie came out and it was new and it was exciting. And there was all this buzz about like Mila Kunis, Natalie Portman. Whoa, what are they going to do with it? Uh, and I didn't quite like I had seen Requiem, but I didn't really know what to expect. And uh, like I, I really like psychological thrillers. I'm really, really super into psychological thrillers. We could talk about David Fincher, you know, all day. Yeah. Uh, and this movie kind of operates as a psychological thriller. And then it gets like it just like goes to another level at some does, point. Yeah. And you just like kind of witness uh it kind of goes inside her head at, at, at mm-hmm. towards towards the end of it uh but my favorite part about this movie is the experience of watching it with other people because mm-hmm. uh, i saw it by myself the first time and then uh i kind of pulled one at a time my buddies into it all my different friends into it and uh everybody had a different breaking point everybody was like it was the fingernail scene it was the like the the scene in the bed with the mom whatever like 
everybody had a different breaking point to this movie. And like by the end of it, everybody's like scarred and they're like, ah, fuck you. Why'd you make me watch that? But uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is about this movie, but it's not like the most relatable thing in the world. Like I'm not a ballerina, right? But there, it says a, a lot about society and a lot about the expectations that are put onto people and the expectations yeah. that people put upon themselves. It's like this snake eating its tail thing. Uh, Vincent Castle's in this movie and he's fucking disgusting. And I feel like he's in a way he's like the uh the prototype for like the harvey weinsteins right uh or like the um the gymnastics coach the guy who like abused all those oh. hundreds of girls right like yeah he, do he does he gives off that vibe and you don't know like you hate him in the movie but like i don't know i i do think it's not as uh prescient might not be the word but like it works on a couple different levels it works yeah. as a psychological thriller it works as like a societal commentary uh, and ultimately what I like about it is that it puts you in this, like, it puts you in like a head space. It puts you in a mood and it's, uh, it freaks yes. you out. It freaks you out. It's not horror. Cause that's the thing. Like I, I like horror movies. I love it. I love all the, you know, all the Halloweens and all that stuff. But like, to me, horror has never been about like the guy killing the girl or like the, the blood splatter or like all this crazy shit to me. Horror is, is, is internal to always has been to me. Horror has just been. Like, people are the scariest shit. Like, I know Aliens, we talk about Alien all the time. It's one of my favorite movies. But I would still pick something like this to be scarier to some people than an alien. Because I think real horror comes from within, and that's what this movie does. It gets under your skin, literally. <laughs> yeah, so that's why yeah. it's on here. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's a disturbing film. And I feel like it also, it's about sort of like how the artist can sort of self-destruct trying yeah. to reach something that they can't get to. that too yeah i didn't even touch you know? on that yeah good point yeah because she's just like so obsessed uh that well, it why is she destroyed. why is she obsessed like her her you know we get she has like a carry type of a mom right uh who's mm -hmm. constantly pushing her and and all this stuff like there's there's a yeah. lot of stuff in this movie but if none of that if you don't care about any of that at the very least it it's creepy and it gets under your skin yes yeah, yeah it's yeah, super creepy <laughs> yeah yeah you it's just watch them self-destruct um, but yeah, that's the kind of, again, that's just the kind of, that's the kind of, that's the wavelength that I prefer to work on when it comes to, uh, psychological thrillers and stuff. A little surreal, just a tiny bit of surrealism, uh, and you know, real unnerving stuff. Cool. Yeah. All right. So my number five is, you know, with, in our 2019 list, we both had this as our number one. So I'm listing the Irishman as my number five. Um, yeah, we talked a lot about that, but yeah, this, this film Again, this is another film that's been in the works for a long, long time. Um, kind of wish it could have come earlier, but uh, yeah. it's still it's still really great seeing all these guys, Keitel and Al Pacino and De Niro. Yeah. And then yeah, even yeah, yeah. seeing some of the new guys like Jesse Plemons and even, um, what was the guy? I forget, I forget the Ray Romano. Yeah, yeah all yeah, of them yeah, give yeah. good performances. Yeah. And look, it, this is a brilliant Scorsese movie. The yeah. directing is amazing yeah and there's some really really you know like like the stuff with the gun again that scene with the gun where he's picking a gun it's hilarious yeah. it's all in he, there <laughs> and he does that assassination and they do it in one one shot it's just brilliant it's yeah. brilliant it's everything you want out of a film like this it's everything mm -hmm. you want yeah and we talked does. about it at length uh mm -hmm. in the so just a shameless plug you know check out the other list yeah that we did, the check out our 2019 list. and uh, yeah. spoiler alert the irishman's number one for both of us yeah right how what a weird what a weird coincidence 
must be must be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it must be a really fucking good movie. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I again, I just I just love the fact that all this stuff happens, and then at the end they pull it around to the theme of the film, which is like about you got to care about your legacy. Yeah. And he did all these things, but in the end, no one remembers who um what's his name is Jimmy Hoffa. No one knows who Jimmy Hoffa is. His daughter won't talk to him. He's all by himself. He's picking out his own coffin. He's afraid to close the door at night. And it's like, what, what, what life does he lead at the end? It's horrible. Yeah. You know, what's it's funny horrible. is, uh, again, I, I was telling you, I was telling Ibrahim, I saw Godfather part three for the first time last week. That movie kind of has the same vibe, right? Like it's yes. like, just when I thought I was out, they pulled yeah. me back in, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. a, it's, it's a film about legacy, but it's like not done well at all. Uh, at least as well as not the like the Irishman, <laughs> not like the Irishman, like the Irishman is like, it really opened my, like if the Irishman didn't exist, I, I feel like Godfather part three would have been the legacy, the gangster legacy movie. But this movie is like, there works on so many more levels than just that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it's brilliant. And I, I, it's one of my absolute favorites of his. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just, you know, I mean, there's, you know, again, there's some stuff to nitpick about. Like if you're, if you're, I don't know. I, th- I think there are some people that are just not really sold on it. They're not into it. Yeah. Um, well, I think so it, then, I, yeah. I think that's part of what works about the movie is just like some people aren't into Joe Pesci because they're like, who the fuck is Joe Pesci? Right. <laughs> yeah. Home alone. Or like, you don't even recognize him because he's so old, but yeah. that's kind of the, the, the theme of the movie. <laughs> so yeah. I, yeah, I like that about it. Yeah, yeah, but like if you really kind of get what they're trying to get at, it's just so rich and poetic and yeah, brilliant. I think so. Yeah, yeah that's my number five, The Irishman. Cool. So, what's your number four? We should. All right, we've broken into the second half here. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four is uh, after all of the the Blade Runners and the Black Swans and the kind of inside your own head thing. I'm going to take it uh, a little bit outside of my own head, but not but too much. Uh, Prometheus is my number four. Oh, yes, very, Prometheus. Very divisive. Very divisive very film. Divisive. This, was the, this was the one, baby. The alien's back. Ridley Scott is back. I believe the problem with this is that they had uh, they brought in extra writers. They brought in Damon Lindelof, who is incapable of taking his head out of his own ass. Incapable. I fucking hate Lindelof. But anyways... Uh, <laughs> I mean, he does, you know, he do, he comes up with really cool concepts. So, Him and JJ movie, have similar problems. Yeah, correct. They yeah, like the could, little mystery box. Yeah. Ooh, look over here. It's a magic yeah. trick. It's a, it's a bad magic trick, and you're yeah. bad at it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that so that well, that's one of the reasons I bring that up, is that that's one of the reasons that people uh, shit on Prometheus, because it was, like, supposed to be the prequel to Alien, and, again, Ridley Scott is doing it. And then right off the bat, it just gets up its own ass. It's just there's so much to take keep track of, and none of it is explained, like, explicitly. Uh, and it's, like, part art film, part, you know, horror film, part thriller, you know, and... Uh, it gets like get the cast gets lost in like and it's a very good cast. I mean, oh, it's you amazing. Have, yeah, <laughs> Idris Elba, Charlize Theron, uh, fucking Numi Rapace. Numi Rapace. Yeah, Guy Pierce is in this. I mean, and again, everybody kind of at the height of Michael the Michael Fassbender. Yeah, he's right. amazing. David. I mean, yeah. he, he he that is one of his characters. Like David in this movie, he is amazing yeah, as that character. Amazing. Yeah. 
and David David kind of sows the seed of like Ridley Scott really 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 not being able to let go of Blade Runner. <laughs> That's because he made because uh, Alien Covenant uh, came out after this, and that was really him not being able to let go of Blade Runner and wanting to make that movie about AI and fuck everything else. But um, what I love about this movie, obviously, it's the experience of when it came out, right? That's like pretty much for better or worse my number one criteria for most of these films uh i was so excited about this and again ridley scott has all been my favorite director uh even even before this and the the cinematography in this film i believe is not talked about as much as it should be uh they went yeah. to iceland and the shots that they got there uh really i mean really makes you feel like you're on an alien planet like the yeah, way that beautiful. they did it uh, and a lot of it is practical too ridley scott is a really like they built the ship None of it is green screened or anything. They actually built the front mm. of the Prometheus. Um, really cool practical stuff. I just think the problem with it is that it gets lost in its own sauce for a bit with the story. But the elements that are there are really, really good and well executed. And what's even funnier about it is that they put so much R&D into Prometheus. Uh, and it's so beautiful that when they made The Martian, they ended up reusing like oh, a, cool. a significant amount of this stuff, like uh, yeah. the helmets, the suits. Mm-hmm. They just like repainted them and stuff. <laughs> uh, I the love The Martian too. That's another good one. So that was the thing. I was trying to I was trying to decide between this one and The Martian, but for yeah. me, this this hits closer than The Martian because it's it was trying. I feel like it, the Ridley Scott like almost because he's been shackled, not shackled happily working in the hollywood system for like 20 years right like he's he's getting 200 million he was getting 200 yeah, he's, million dollars, he's like, one of their go-to guys big time 100 percent. like if you have a movie and you don't know what to do with it you give, give it to, to ridley. ridley scott he'll and do the it, thing he'll, about ridley he's he's known for like getting work done very quickly yeah very efficient very yeah, efficient very efficient yeah. um but i feel like he he comes through in this movie like his personal touch comes through in this movie because it's alien and it's going back to kind of his heyday right or yeah. like the thing that got him started pretty much um his signature comes through in this with a beautiful cinematography juxtaposed with the horrific imagery of the Giger yeah. stuff um it's in there and i think people need to give it another chance and not get so lost in the, in the plot and the contrivances. Cause there's a lot of contrivances that we have to get from point A to point B. Uh, but I think it's a beautiful film it, both to look at. And uh, I think, I think it's more poetic than people give it credit for. So yeah. that's why I, I put it on here over the Martian, which the Martian is a better film, I think. Uh, but, and it's, but the writing is really kind of what, what the writing and we'll the directing. Differentiate them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this movie, I feel is a little more contemplative, uh, and I really like it. I really like Prometheus. I, you know, I'm right there with you. I really, really love Prometheus. Prometheus is like one of the films I would put up there on my list of like films that I like that a lot of people hate. Like it's way up yeah. there for yeah. me. Um, I think that the way I would describe Prometheus, I was just thinking about this. And I think this is the way that I would best describe it. I think it works beat by beat, but not plot point by plot point. Like there yeah. are plot points, like with, with the way that these scientists act when they act hella dumb, but it's because they're trying to fulfill genre premises. It's yeah. like, oh, well, we need a horror scene where someone gets killed. Yeah. Okay, but like you have a scientist who's they're taking off their helmet in, in an unknown terrain. Yeah. This this dude's a biologist and he's grabbing a fucking snake. He doesn't. He's never seen it in his life. Like yeah. a scientist wouldn't do that. But you're, they're trying to fulfill like, oh, scary thing happens and he gets killed, yeah. and then yeah. because he gets killed, he gets infected, and then his infected self goes and kills some other people. Yeah. Okay, I get it. I see what you're trying to do there. Um, yeah. But I think this has some of the most brilliant horror scenes 
sci-fi oh. horror scenes ever. Straight ever, up, yeah. Time. Straight I mean, up, dude. The, when she has to abort the fetus, oh, so one of good. the greatest scenes ever in any sci-fi horror movie. And I'm telling you, there's something and it was practical. I yeah, I don't, I yeah. don't know why it works for me, but like when the engineer fights the kraken, oh. like that, that, that is, I don't know what it was about that. It was, there was something like. Like oh. Lovecraftian about it. Yeah, very. It's creepy. just so brilliant. Like yeah. to see, like, oh, you thought that you were the most powerful, intelligent, evil thing. Well, welcome to this Kraken well, baby. It's, it's like watching a nature you. documentary. That scene. That's what it like. It feels like you're watching a nature documentary of these like life forms yes! that are alien doing the things that they would do in their natural habitat and just fucking eating each other. <laughs> I, dude, I, I cannot describe how much I love that scene. Mm-hmm. Like when I saw it the first time, it was, it was like, I can't, I can't even really put into words what I felt, but it was something so transcendently horrific, but also kind of purely true to the genre yeah. that I was just blown away by it because yeah. it's just such a great payoff to that thing. Because, you know, you have this super intelligent, super strong, very powerful being who is, like, overpowering these humans that it created and is, like, trying to snuff them out. And then this 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 afterbirth of their yeah. creation yeah. from the thing, the other thing they created kills them and then yeah. creates the alien, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, just like when you see that thing jump out, grab the, the, the dude, and it's got, like, it's, it's a super face hugger. It's got like ten tentacles, yeah, yeah. yeah and he's yeah, just yeah. dead. He's dead. It's yeah. unbelievable. Like the 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 cre- the the yeah the 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 race of people that created all other people flushed like that. But yeah. I think I think again, like the to to put a pin in it, like the the thing that really works about this movie is, uh, or at least the thing that sticks with me outside of all of the really great like inventive like practical effects and stuff like that is just like it it, it tries to do the the Blade Runner thing a lot like earlier than Blade Runner where it's just like it has all these big ideas and it's not quite able to get to those big ideas because it gets in its own way of like trying to be a horror movie and trying to get through these plot details and stuff but like I think those big ideas are really really solid about like the creators and the the created and and all that shit and uh, I think that's what Ridley was really trying to go for but he was making like a you know $150 million (laughs) yeah 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 Uh, yeah. so but yeah anyways we could talk about Prometheus all day but that's 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 my number four yeah Cool. Um, so yeah, my number four is uh, another movie about big ideas, Interstellar. So oh. I really like this film. What I like about this film for me is that, again, Christopher Nolan is using the powers that he's been given to try and make, like, like I mean, this, this is, a, this is a, another film not based on anything. It's just about pretty much sci- hard science concepts. And it is a huge budgeted movie. And it's just basically about traveling through a wormhole. And Did he ever say like what the impetus for this was? Like, is it a personal experience of his? Well, okay. So here, this this film, I believe, is another interesting story. So the film, at least as far as I understand, so his brother wrote it, yeah. and his brother wrote it probably around the time when Nolan was doing Inception. Steven Spielberg was attached to direct it for about Lord. four years. He's the and go-to. Then, yeah. <laughs> then he dropped out, and then Nolan came in. And so then I think they rewrote the script and they together created the movie that we see now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was just basically just, just based on some theoretical physics stuff. 
pretty much. Oh, okay, so the whole, it was love, Murph, that's not like him trying to say something uh, about himself. <laughs> I think I think Christopher Nolan... Um, that's my struggle. That's Sorry, the reason I'm asking is yeah. that's my problem with Nolan is that I can never penetrate through to the guy. He's always the guy that's like this great architect who is able to build these Oh, yeah, he's the architect, dude. He doesn't, he doesn't like... But he if, doesn't if, like... If it the was up to him, stuff doesn't quite. If, if it was up to him, there would be no emotional stuff at all. He does that because us silly humans need that need it to connect yeah. with the story. For him, yeah. it's all about the architecture. It's yeah. all about the plot architecture, yeah, and the story stuff and how how yeah. can and it really it's about time too. He loves like, oh, how can I how can Fucking I create time for dude. real? Yeah, That's, yeah. <laughs> it's like how can okay, so this is my story, but how can I tell a story about how that affects time? Yeah. And so with this one, it's like, oh, when people are closer to a black hole, time is affecting that's my end. <laughs> yep, that's my end. That's what he cared yeah. about. Yeah. So the, to me, the real selling point for me with this film is like, this is a film that is sort of attempting to be kind of like a 2001, a hard sci-fi kind of film. True. And it, it's trying to, to, to do the sci-fi stuff, but be like realistic to what can actually happen in the world potentially or possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there are some of the, some of the most brilliant and beautiful scenes of all time are in this film. When they first encounter the wormhole, when they go through the wormhole, like that stuff is just brilliant yeah. when they see gargantua, like, and, and one of the cool things about that is that's what they actually look like. That's what a, a black hole actually looks like. Like we have pictures now. I do appreciate that. Yeah. The on. lengths they went to like all the physicists they tapped for this. Yeah. 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 And, and so when you saw that gargantua in that film, that's basically what a black hole would look like under those circumstances. If humans somehow got to a black hole like that. And so all of that stuff to me, really, I'm glad that I got a chance to see that in my lifetime, something like that. Um, I yeah, definitely like the stuff when you get to the four dimensional. That's the that that scene is very brilliant, <laughs> and the fact that they did that all with practical effects is crazy. That's the it's kind crazy, of thing that, that that Yodorowsky would have liked to make if he could, you know. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy and very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, for me, what what sells me on this movie is I don't care. Yeah, the the, the it was love, Murph, I've, whatever. I don't care. That doesn't. I don't, I don't. I have no feelings one way or another about that. Okay. okay. <laughs> but what? But what sells this for me is like this guy Christopher Nolan decided I'm going to make a hard sci-fi, like big budget film, and I'm going to use all the resources I have at my disposal to create something like that in this era, using the technology we have. And I think that he really pulled that off. And yeah. you know, I, I love sci-fi films. Um, a lot of Same. them stray more towards the like kind of you know the the star Star Wars y fantastical, not really realistic, and it's cool to see something more like this be made and be successful. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and um, I think Christopher Nolan in a in a vacuum should be my number one filmmaker of all time. It should be my favorite thing because I don't get caught up in a lot of the emotional stuff. I don't really watch. Uh, or at least you would think uh, but until I start making these lists and then like all of the fucking trauma comes out. Uh, uh, like I, I like a lot of movies that are just uh, based on the, you know, the like what's what's in what's on the screen, like the, the technical prowess and the kind of architecture of it and the hard science of it and stuff. And the story is there because the story has to be there kind of a thing. But for whatever reason, 
you know, he's he's not my favorite filmmaker. And it's every single time, every single time he makes one of these big idea movies, the the whatever the emotional core of it, it d- doesn't exist or it like withers away. And then all, all we're left it with is like this incredible achievement, which is to be celebrated on its own. But like that's for whatever reason, it just feels like, a never, bit hollow. It feels a bit hollow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not the first one to say that, but no, you're um, not. <laughs> yeah, right. For sure. Uh, but I do love that. I love that you pointed out like he picks a genre and he's just like, I'm just I'm just going to do this now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah know? for real. And, yeah. you know, I just really appreciate that about him. Like, me too. You know, no one else is going to really be able to do that. I mean, I feel like Spielberg is kind of like he would be the person who would do this. But he's kind of moved on to another phase in his career where he's like kind of doing the things he wanted to do. Yeah. And I mean, Spiel- Spielberg. But Spielberg is like one of the most emotionally manipulative filmmakers yeah. of all time. You yeah. know, so that that, yeah. that this would have been a very different movie. <laughs> yes, it would have been a very different movie for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, for for him, I think he he kind of force feeds the the emotional stuff. I think I think a lot of that comes from the 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 corporate side up top. They're like, hey, mm. you gotta, you gotta, yeah, you gotta have it in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so but, so he kind of tries to to find the most logical way to do that. But yeah. otherwise, for him, it's just it's it's about the technical. It's about the ideas and it's about how can I confer time through this story. Yeah, yeah I love it. I love that. I, I'm glad that we had a little discussion on Nolan because I do really, really like there's a part of me that really, really loves that. And I'm happy that there's somebody out there that has the money and the power to keep doing these films. Uh, you know, That's what I really appreciate about him. And, and yeah. you know, like this kind of loom was looming over us is like the whole tenant thing and like mm-hmm. what's going to happen with him going forward. Um, I feel like Tenet is him going further into like stripping out any emotional stuff and like oh. being purely pro- plot driven. Cool. Uh, but I, I do want to see him make more original stuff because he's one of the very few. Again, yeah. very few. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. you know, like uh, you know, we talked about the other guy, James Cameron. He he just it came out very recently. He said he was on an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He said Av- he's a hundred. He's 100% done with shooting on Avatar 2, 95% done shooting on Avatar 3. Yeah. So that's that's what he's going to be doing for the next, I don't know, five, four or five years is doing more Avatar movies. No, I think his plan is for the rest of his life. I don't think he wants to do anything else. I think that's what, I think he might have said that or somebody said that. Yeah. Well, I, I saw there was one other original film he had potentially in potentially to do but okay. yeah, Avatar is basically his thing now. And yeah. but he's the only other person who could do something like Interstellar. True. I could true, totally true. see him doing Interstellar. Yeah, totally yeah, see him doing yeah. something like that. Um, but, but yeah, even if, did, even if I, I, I'm telling you now, if uh, Cameron made Interstellar, it would have been a better movie, I think, than what we got. Oh, 100 percent. But yeah. that's because like he he would have found a way to put in that you know get away from her you bitch moment that like really connects with audiences. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the other thing too about it is like the, the whole Doctor Man uh, plot, where you know, oh yeah, yeah, out of the yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. and that that was like. That was a pretty big moment. Like they they pull Doctor Man out, and it's freaking freaking yeah, what's his name? Jesus, Matt Damon. Yeah, it's Matt Damon. Yeah, and that he's was, an evil son of a bitch. Yeah, that was. Uh, that, yeah, that's a hit or miss uh, side quest in that movie. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of people. I mean, I it kind of liked it for me a little bit. I liked it. Yeah, a little bit, but, but um, I can see viewers I, getting I frustrated can, two hours into that movie, and they're like, "What the fuck? Why?" And the fucking Matt Damon comes out of <laughs> and, the ice. and he's playing, yeah. and he's so stupid. Like he's uh, you want to talk about like contrivances like that? Come on, like you know where that was headed. The yeah, moment he's a super stupid it. villain. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. Uh, can can we just for thirty seconds talk about the score in Interstellar? Probably Brilliant. the most incredible score I've ever heard. Yeah. Brilliant. 
super brilliant. You know what's funny too is like I, I don't know if you have you ever heard like some of the really famous scores from um uh oh I forget what his name is now. Uh the guy who did he well Quayani Scotsi. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's kind of doing something very similar to him mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with the score. Yeah. And especially yeah, there's some like they're almost like <laughs> it's almost yeah, it's almost like he he just did basically just the same kind it. of score. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's brilliant. It is really some of the best work he's done, which is I saying a lot. The yeah, the score is 50 to 60% of the emotional resonance of that movie. <laughs> He he does a really good job of 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 inserting emotional or feeling some kind of a feeling into Nolan's films. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he does a really good job of like adding that layer. Yeah. That sometimes Nolan can't get across himself. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the two of them together is it's one of the more brilliant collaborations of a composer and a director for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad we had yeah. a little talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I guess now we're on to your number three. We're getting Where close to the, the end top here. Three. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Grab your popcorn. Um, we talked about a bit about this movie last week. Uh, we were talking about uh, Hollywood and wish fulfillment and uh, Tarantino and uh, Django Unchained is just oh, yeah. one of those movies, man. It's the just meme one face. Of, <laughs> whoa! Like this is such a. This is a movie where I feel like out of. Uh, Certainly out of the last decade, you could argue Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but like everything lands in Django Unchained, like everything about this movie lands, like the, the performances, the, the kind of themes, the, the mood that it goes for. Um, there was there was I remember a lot of like back and forth and argument about like the use of the N word in it. And it's just like, OK, sure, you could say Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, Tarantino's a bit of a weirdo, but excuse me. It's a, the, it's a this movie. is like the right time for like, it. What to... the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's well, stupid. I, I would never say that Tarantino. So okay, the the one thing I would really <laughs> criticize him about is when he casts himself and the dead and inward right. storage. Correct, sure, yeah. <laughs> when That's... he casts himself in that scene, but otherwise, it's always Sam Jackson or someone yeah. else or a racist guy saying it. Yeah, right. And I mean, and all of the racist guys in this movie get their comeuppance, and that's part of the magic of it. It's this movie is magic. It's actually, yeah. it's actually, it's like. Uh, I know it's it, technically not because it's like a it's like a western kind of spaghetti western action thriller kind of a thing, but it's really like a fantasy. Like <laughs> it's it's like a magical it, realism yeah, kind it, of a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's so I I don't know if it's really a genre yet, but he's really like Inglorious Bastards was the first one. Mm-hmm. Like let's have some Jewish people kill Nazis. Yeah, right. Right, like this type of exploitative wish fulfillment through um through through violence yeah and this is like the the other part of that bookend the slave who kills the slave masters yeah 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 if this is uh yeah and i can see now i can see more your argument is or like your personal dissatisfaction with hollywood because they they didn't kill the 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 manson kids right they were just kind of there and they were left as like yes because like in this film he blows up the fucking plantation he kills them all i understand you're just like yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, but, but that's like also... Manson, Manson's the problem in that movie because he could just whisper in someone else's ear, and then they could all get killed anyway. Yeah, well, I think that's I think that's where he he chose. Well, obviously, he did that on purpose. He left that there to kind of not to shy away from it. That you know the, these monsters are out there, uh, but Django, I feel like, is just because of the genre that it's operating within, or at least trying to pretend like it's operating in, like 
it's it's a revenge thriller. You gotta you gotta have your revenge in there. What better revenge than to have on this plantation? And my God, the way they set up that plantation, the 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 characters that we live in there. We spend about an hour, I feel like, in that last scene, just getting to know everybody and seeing how kind of inbred and just fucking caricature everybody is. But as far as we know, that's closer to reality than not. Um, yeah, sure. There's the the Don Johnson character in that movie is fucking amazing. Uh, as the uh, I forget what his name is with the with the plantation owner with the with the horses that. Uh, anyways, yeah, so, uh, we talked about Django a little bit, but like it's my number three because again, the time when it came out, everybody I got I went to see it with all my friends. Everybody was having a rip roaring good time. Uh, you, it works on many different levels. You know, you can have your brain on and you can say like, oh, what is the filmmaker trying to say in this scene? Or you could just be like, you know fucking fuck these racists and whatever yeah. right so it works it just works uh the performances again are really strong uh i've heard people criticize jamie fox in this movie that he's not really the lead it's more christoph waltz's movie um, i kind of feel that way too personally true. no it's true but i feel like Django is a character he's supposed to be a vessel for the viewer more than mm-hmm. he's supposed to be a character himself and uh you know, he, he's got these like human concerns. He's, you know, he wants to get his, his beloved out basically, you know? Uh, and so you kind of, he's kind of a cutout in that way. But uh, other than that, you know, the, that shoot, I mean, he blow, he, yeah, he, he shoots people to Tupac at the very end of the movie. That's all. Yeah. I say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, I, I, I definitely, and again, the Christoph Waltz basically went back to back with Oscars. So he yeah. won for Inglourious Bass, which is, I mean that that's probably his best character. Um, Hans Landa, dude. Hans Landa is his best character that amazing. he's ever written. And amazing, amazing that yeah. Um yeah. and he's really good in this film too. And I do feel like he's more of the he's more he, he, he's like he's, the, a, he's like a spiritual mentor. Yeah. The thing about his character is like he gets all the most interesting points and moments, other than the fact that Django gets the revenge. Django gets yeah. the revenge. Yeah. But he kind of sacrifices himself and he does a lot of more interesting character moments, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the ending is, is like what's so good is the ending is satisfying. I'm like yeah. Oh yeah. Kill everybody. Hundred percent. Um, and then he has that showdown with Sam Jackson. The Sam Jackson character is another great character, a great character. I I have to say a lot of people yeah. give it shit, but like, nah, dude, that was good. No, the acting that's was good. Really yeah, the writing nuanced. was good. I thought that yeah. shit was brilliant. I thought that was nuanced for for a Tarantino yeah. character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and just to see him, you know, get revenge on him too. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's yeah, it's 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 a satisfying movie. It, it gives you what you want from the premise of the film. Yeah, there's villains of all kind, you know. Yeah, so yeah, that, I, is, that I'm is a big my fan. big, big, big fan. This movie, I think, I it's also his highest grossing movie of all time. Is it really? I believe it is. Yeah, in terms of huh. dollar for dollar, but like if you ingest it, it's probably Pulp Fiction. But yeah, this one made a lot of money. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, but that's my number three. Yeah, I, I was kind of shifting it between number three and number two. Um, but yeah, I ultimately is, yeah, top three. Okay, so my number three is an animated film. Uh, I was a little, so I, I saw this with my friends, who's another big fan of the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. And we kind of watched it on a whim. We liked it a lot. I've liked this, the more I've watched this film, the more I think this film is really, really brilliant and... I put this on my list because I feel like uh, you have to talk about this film, I think, if you talk about this decade. So it's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, hell yeah. Nice. Yeah. So this film, again, so when I saw it, I liked it. That was good. I think I think the writing on this film is really, really brilliant. There's so many moments in this film that at the heart, this film is is 
is such a great character film, mm-hmm. and it and it, it it builds up um, his character in such a it's such a powerful way, and like up, up until like three quarters of the movie, he's basically an underdog. He's not able to do what he wants to do. He's given these powers, he doesn't know what to do with them. He can't handle it. He can't really become. He doesn't become Spider Man until very end of the film, and when he has that moment where he like he he decides i just have to become spider-man and he does a leap the leap of faith and he jumps and then you get that beautiful shot where he's going down but it's the reverse so it's like the city's coming up mm-hmm, even though he's mm-hmm, going down mm-hmm. just such a beautiful moment and the and the the animation of this film is unbelievable oh yeah oh it, it yeah it's it unbelievable what they did with the animation in this film yeah and there's so many things they make some very strong choices like with some of the characters like the way that they animate um kingpin Mm-hmm, it's just mm-hmm. so funny and brilliant and cool like it's right out of a comic book that's what's so cool about this film that this film does this film is a comic book put onto the screen yeah and in, that's in the, like the most literal way you the most literal way do that yeah 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 and, and it's so like the the miles morales ca- character like what they put him through is is really so brilliant for just just if you think about like he gets his powers he sees spider-man die and then he's sort of burdened by that. He's like, Spider-Man's dead. And I, I have to do something because I'm Spider-Man now in this universe. But he's not really ready. And then these other Spider-Man, he, his, his other mentor then becomes the Spider-Man who's a fat alcoholic mm-hmm. who wants to kill himself. <laughs> by the way, that's literally his character. He yeah. wants to kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing for this PG-13 like movie. It's like a suicidal fat <laughs> guy and but then in the end they kind of both grow from each other like he helps miles become spider-man and then he helps the peter b parker get over his suicidal tendencies like hey man there's this moment this great moment it's like hey man are you all right like you like you got to get over this thing you got to move on with your life and you need to stop trying to kill yourself (laughs) he said and that's really literally like basically the conversation but he says it like really like in, it basically in, in this one, like in so many words, and he's like, "Wow, you're right. You're ready to be Spider-Man, and I, I need to change too. I need to get over my shit." And then he goes back to his world, and he's finally changed. It's a brilliant film, and it's really funny too. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, man, Lord and Miller, they are fucking brilliant, and just the fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> the Star Wars, the, the the Star Wars people who threw them under the bus, yeah. When they would have probably come up with something actually interesting and different, yeah. They they really sell that kind of uh, call to adventure and that kind of excitement and the kind of all the fun you can have with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, and I feel like this this film really canonized the Miles Morales character. Like we're gonna see him more. He's in like a PS4 game. Yeah, it's all about him. Yeah, 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 and you're gonna see him more. Like Absolutely. this, this film is the definitive telling of his origin. I think it's like a watershed moment for Spider-Man. Honestly, it is. Yeah, I really do. I, I, think, I think a lot of people feel like this is the best Spider-Man movie that's been made about right. any Spider-Man yeah. character. Yeah, yeah, you could absolutely, absolutely make that argument. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I'm glad you brought up like the writing. I think it's uh, what this movie does extremely well is like the gargantuan task of weaving all of these things and not only weaving them in, but like introducing them to audiences and people that have never heard of these things who have never even, are not even familiar with the concept of like multiple universes. Cause like a lot of people who watch comic book movies, 
don't read comic books, right? And that's a very common thing in comic books to have multiple universes and different, like, ah, Ultimate Spider-Man's uh, coming in here and he's going to mingle with these people for a bit. Like, the, this movie sells that, but it retains, you know, the funny and it retains, like, all of the little things that you would want in an animated movie. Like, it, it's it's really, really solid, man. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and the, I, I feel like this is a film to study because it's so brilliant about how it does everything. Exactly. Like how yeah. it's how it sets up the characters, how it changes the characters, those those moments that really make you feel something, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. like he really like they make Miles Morales earn the fact that he becomes Spider Man at the end. Yeah. Like it's not just like given to like there's a lot of there's a lot of movies we see where the character's origin is basically they just they have powers and they overwhelm everybody, they kill everybody, <laughs> and yeah. they're just too powerful. Yeah. Um, there's not much they, of a burden for them. Yeah, and and it's not you don't really you're like okay well I guess that's it. This is not one of those movies. Like like there's a lot of and the like the character man like they even say it like he he has like two Spider Man moments really. Every Spider Man like they they see they see someone die like there's there's the Uncle Ben or like mm-hmm. the the other one was it the oh I forget her name but she like she sees her dad die oh, and oh, then Gwen? she sees yeah yeah Spider Gwen yeah. she like sees yeah. Peter Parker die. Um, but for yeah. him, his uncle dies, who's a, who's a bad guy. And he sees Spider, and he sees the Spider-Man di- of his universe die. Mm-hmm. So both those things happen to him to push him into becoming the Spider-Man of his universe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the character goes through a lot. And I, I think it's really brilliant for like, you know, thinking about any, any piece of work either in the genre or even outside of the genre of like how to create a compelling protagonist that we really care about. I feel like this film is is one of the best, really. Yeah, huge accomplishment. This movie—that's all I gotta say. Huge accomplishment, and really out of nowhere. True. I mean, this yeah. this film was kind of talked about a bit. Like, it feels like one of those things where, yeah. So, like, you know, every studio that owns one of these properties is like, we we have this slate for the big budget movies, we have this slate for the cinematic universe movies, and we have this slate for the animated movies. Like, DC is constantly pumping out Justice League movies, you know, shit like that. And this just feels like Sony putting out a, a Spider-Man movie because they can. And it turned out to be the best Spider-Man movie they've probably ever put out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and something that really opens up huge avenues for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, now they're now they're really excited about Venom and, uh, you know, mixing in all of these different characters. But I, Morbius. <laughs> yeah, Morbius and all this shit. But, like, honestly, I think they should uh, they should give these guys more money to do what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, so that, that's my number three. Solid. solid All right, solid. cool. We're getting close. So what's your number two? <sighs> Dude, I've been dreading talking about this. Uh, I've, I've, I've been emotional, honestly, about, about this. And th- this, this movie fucks me up every single time. Um, so my number two, above all of the other things that like, I like uh, expendables and all these explosions and things like that. Uh, my number two is, uh, Lars von Trier's Melancholia. Okay. That cool. movie for me is is a pretty big moment. Um, so I'm not. So if if you know what the movie's about, I I need to preface it and say that like uh, I'm I'm good. I'm okay. I don't suffer from like crippling depression. Right. I'm okay. I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, in in that mindset hardly ever. Uh, but I've never seen like you were talking about uh, the Tree of Life, right? And you're just watching poetry. Uh, this movie is a lot like that. It's got a little. It's got a little bit of the Dogma ninety five stuff in it, just for the kind of for the kicks. But uh, 
it feels like you're watching a painting kind of, and the mm. painting is like melting in front of you and it's just mm. like wrong. Yeah. And it's just, and oh, the, the thing that this movie does is it, um, I mean, it's interpretive. Uh, there is a, okay. So to just to kind of put a little skeleton on it, there's a, it's a plot about, uh, really, it's about these two sisters, but uh, it's a, one of the sisters' wedding day. Uh, Kirsten Dunst plays the lead. She's marrying Alexander Skarsgård. They go to the wedding. Uh, everybody's there at the wedding. Again, Lars von Trier somehow pulls the most mind-blowing casts together for these movies. Yeah. Uh, John, <laughs> Hurt, John Hurt is in this movie. Charlotte Rampling. Of course, Stellan Skarsgård's got to be in this movie. He has to be. He's like <laughs> cosmically obligated to be in a von Trier movie. Um and it starts out that way normal, and then you get the sense that the protect. Well, first of all, we get this insane intro. It's like a, an eight-minute montage of like super, super, super slow-mo shots. That every single one of them is a painting. Every single frame is a painting, and that frame sits on the screen, and it's set to like some Wagner music or something, some like Wagner piece, and it's terrifying. And you don't know why it's terrifying. And all of these are intercut with the, like shots of the cosmos and planets crashing and stuff. And right off the bat, it just sets this tone and then it gets into the 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 regular film which is shot in a dogma 95 style really shaky cam zoom 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 whatever um and then you get the sense that some there's something going on with the bride right like it's her wedding day she should be happy and excited and this whole thing is going to shit and then the whole movie goes to shit uh and then um we switch about halfway through and we follow the sister's point of view and whatever i don't have to recap the whole movie but what it I've, I've never seen a movie that nails what it's like to, to be in a certain state of mind. Like basically what this movie does is it is like clinical depression. That's yes. what this movie is. <laughs> and what I love about it, love about it. And it's a Von Trier movie. So he gets to do this is that there's no silver lining. There's nothing. There's nothing. There are characters who think that they have, like there's characters who you think are the optimists or who have the silver lining. They are, they end up being crushed by this thing and they kill themselves and yeah. everybody dies. Everybody dies in this movie. Life is yeah. pointless. Life is pain. The earth is evil. Right. And, and I love that so much. And it makes me sound like a psychopath because I probably am, but uh, <laughs> I just love that a movie can go so balls out and first, and the performance, the Kirsten Dunst performance like, I think this, when I first saw this movie, like, I really understood uh, it's not played up. I mean, at first you think it's got to be played up. This is so fucking weird. Why is somebody acting like this on their wedding day? And it's such a lavish wedding, right? And it's like this yeah, great, 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 great estate, great estate and beautiful cinematography. And you're thinking, like, there's something's going on here. There's something maybe cosmical or extraterrestrial going on with the whole with that whole plot. And then you, you really just realize there's a scene where uh, her sister's trying to get her to take a bath. And she physically can't stand up. And that's when you realize kind of like this, this, this mental state is so powerful. And ultimately, by the end of the film, it becomes so powerful that it feels like a planet colliding with another planet. And it's true. And it sells it. And again, like it's, uh, it's Von Trier, so people can have differing opinions. But I think out of all of his movies, because usually he's going for shock factor, and I think as much as I love that shit, and I do love, I love Antichrist. I love the movies that came after it. I love, uh, like, I, I, I like extreme cinema. But uh, I think when he's going for shock value for the purposes of, like, you know, being emotional or whatever, or, like, telling, uh, uh, explaining a, a mental state or yeah. something, 
it doesn't work quite as well as it does in this movie because this movie is not really shocking. It doesn't have any of those like uh, traditional like it doesn't have any gore yeah, or anything. No. It's, it's not just, like Antichrist like that. No. Oh God, no. It's just <laughs> like it's depressing, and there's plenty of depressing movies, but I've never seen a movie that is depression. Like this movie yes. is is yeah on a canvas just a painting of depression and i think it's really cool like we were talking about like how like sometimes you're watching a film and you it's like how does this an inception exist in the same medium right like this is not a movie it's not plot based or anything like that i mean there's a plot i guess but like yeah how is it able to just be a thing that you look at for two hours and you come out of it with these feelings and i think that's really impressive about it and it made it to my number two because again i saw it when it came out and of course I understood what it was about and I understood what he was going for. And then I rewatched it since, and you know, you go through life experiences and you meet people and you meet people who are in different uh, states. And if nothing else, I mean, I've read online that like people who do suffer from this type of depression, like they should not watch this movie because if they watch mm-hmm. this movie, especially if they watch this movie by themselves, bad, 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 bad news. Don't watch yeah. this movie by yourself. Right. And honestly, it's not even for everybody, but uh, it just, whatever I, I could talk about it but like it's just it sells that state of being it doesn't even sell what it's like it just is and it's just awesome yeah it, it's it's I, I really like it yeah like you said it's it's like a pure depression shot into your veins directly yeah unfiltered <laughs> and it's not depressing because there's depressing things that happen to the characters it just is. It's basically, it's framed. The backdrop of it is that there's an asteroid or there's like another planet that's colliding with the Earth, right? And there's optimists or scientists that are saying, no, it won't. But all of that stuff is on the sidelines. It's just the feeling of this impending doom. And the fact that yeah. by the end of it, you're kind of like, you're on the, the Justine side, the Kirsten Dunst character. You're like, I'm okay with this. I, I, I just, I, I want this to wash over me, you know? I'm ready for it to end. That's a fucking terrifying thing for a movie to be able to put you in that mindset where you're like, yeah, I think all life should should just not exist. Like, get out of my head, Von Trier. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> so that's what I like about this movie. Because, you know, that that kind of, thinking about that, that, there's so many things that come to my mind, especially if you think about the time we're in right now, where we're in a pandemic and people are isolated socially. Yes. Yes, I just and, rewatched this movie not yeah. too long ago, and that's why I feel even stronger about it now. I was it was up it was higher on my list, but I feel even stronger about it now that it does it fits into the current uh, kind of uh, nervousness even mm-hmm. better. I mean, yeah. especially you know if you think about like climate change, some people would think that climate change is sort of an inevitability that's going to destroy us, like an asteroid coming at us. But we see it; we're not doing anything about it. Yeah, and it you know yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of there are some people who feel that way about certain things about the way that the world is right now. Mm-hmm. They see, they feel like yeah. there's this thing coming. Yeah. They can't stop it. No one's stopping it. And yeah. they're just like, okay, wash, wash over me, destroy me. Yeah. And oh, yeah. get me and off see, this planet. And you see all these memes. Like we've, we've gone so far into it that like, now there's memes about like asteroid 2020, like please just <laughs> end it. And it's just like, Cthulhu 2020. Cthulhu 2020. Yeah. Please global extinction event. And it's just like, it's funny to joke about, I guess. Or, or even like the the people that stand for um for what's his name for Thanos. They're like, yeah, he was Thanos was right, kind Please. of stuff. Yeah, end it. Like, <laughs> holy shit! Like in a decade, <laughs> this movie came out in 20, 2011, uh, and uh, people might think that they're feeling that way, but I I promise you, if you watch this movie, you will not feel that way. I mean, you it it, it has this way of like being so utterly. Uh, 
in that like just ha- offering no solace that it makes you cling to whatever life and humanity there is in you <laughs> yeah 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 powerful stuff um, yeah so that's my number two um just really 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 affecting movie yeah cool all right so my number two uh it was one that you've had on your list this one's higher on mine it's blade winner 2049 yeah um i yeah i just i i I think I went through, it was a couple months ago, I just, I, I would watch it. I think I watched it, like, every day for, like, a couple of days. I just, I just love the movie. Cool. Um, fucking 4K of that movie. Yeah, oh, boy. Behind me, dude, yeah. Oh, boy. It's yeah. beautiful, man. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. again, this is a Roger Deakins, Denis Villeneuve, just brilliant. And, like, again, this is another movie, you know, Ryan Gosling, who, like, he's another guy who's put out a bunch of very interesting, it's going to be in my honorable mentions. He, mm-hmm. he exists to try and create movies like this, get them made. Yeah. By putting his name on it. Yeah. Because without him, does this movie, this movie might get made with someone else, but like, he's like, yeah, I want to be a part of this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it, it, you know, I, I love him. I love his work. And I think this is one of the best things he's, he's been in. Um, yeah. I really like it. Um, I mean, Anna Marmus is brilliant in this. Um, I forget the girl who plays the other like prostitute McK- or whatever. Uh, Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie Davis. I love Mackenzie Davis. Yeah, She's same. so awesome. Love, love, love her. Yeah. Love Mackenzie Davis. And like th- this movie is just so brilliant to me. It's just so brilliant and it's so beautiful and it just works on so many levels. The more I watch it, the more I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two weeks ago, the barrier looked exactly like this movie. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it's relevant. Like it keeps coming up. It's like the cinematography and the, the kind of the, again, the atmosphere, the mood that it's set, yeah. the, the, the dystopia that it created is yeah. like people, were, people too, are saying like, Oh, we're, we're headed towards Blade Runner. We've been in Blade Runner. There. We've been living in Blade yeah. Runner. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're there. The other thing too is like, there are so many films that you can, you can see one shot and know the film. True. That, that shot when he's creeping into the orange mist in Vegas. Yeah. Like that is one of the most iconic shots in the history of cinema. Yeah, to me, hundred percent has, has become yeah. Yeah, like you see that, and it 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 tells you something. It gives you a mood. It gives you a feeling. You get this sort of it. It's beautiful, but it's dreadful mm-hmm. because it represents this sort of destruction of everything that we know and love. But it's so purely human because, as we see, human beings are the ones that create an environment that that causes that, and it's, yeah. that's a real thing. Like that actually happened in real life. We're in the berry. We woke up and outside it was freaking orange. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about the movie. I feel like that says everything you need to know yeah. about the movie. That one day we woke up, we looked outside, and we said, oh, that's Blade Runner. That's Blade yeah. Runner 2049. And we didn't even, like, we all got it. Every one of us got it. Oh, yeah, that's like that scene when he went into Vegas. It was orange. Yeah. That's and- art. That's what art's supposed to do, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you you nailed it. Yeah, and and uh, to to sprinkle on top of that the whole joy thing that you you uh, you mentioned earlier, like we're we're already there. The whole companionship thing, like AI bot. We might not have AI bots, but like we're there, man. Like the the pe- people on the internet are fucking lonely and desperate. everybody's <laughs> lonely and desperate. It's it's uh, yeah, we're there. <laughs> we are there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I I've seen a whole bunch of things where people play these like relationship dating anime games where you're an avatar mm-hmm. and you go out and you date people. Yeah. Like the visual novels or whatever. Yeah. 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 
yeah, it's it's absolutely just whatever the original setup, uh, the 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 sequel I think built on and brought us <laughs> closer to it. Yeah, yeah, I I love it. It's just it's a film that for me I really love, and the more I watch it, the more I get out of it, and I just I think it's yeah. brilliant. And it's it's good. It's good that you can say that because I do encourage repeat viewings for this because a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people thought it was boring and slow and slow and boring. But if you just keep going back to it and you just because the first time you see it, you might be, you know, expectations play a big role. But then if you if you really just settle in and you kind of just go for the ride, I think you'll you'll have a much better time. Yeah. When you settle into this movie, it, it really gives you a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. It's a it's an it optimistic does. one as opposed to, you know, what we just talked about. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Cool. So now we're almost at our number one. So let's let's now take some time to talk about our honorable mentions, like the yes. things that were really really close to making our list, but we kind of had to give, give them the boot. So yeah, what are some of your honorable mentions for this list? Yeah, so like I said, I put a lot of movies that kind of stand for other movies, you know, like Expendables and perhaps John Wick are kind of in there to make up for the lack of the Fast Fives uh, and things like that, uh, which I do love, right? But there's just not enough room. So I'll, I'll just rattle them off. Uh, Kick-Ass, a lot of Matthew Vaughn's work, like Matthew Vaughn's movies this decade, have just scratched that itch that Guy Ritchie yes. never could. Um, <laughs> Kick, Kick-Ass is one of those movies, and the first Kingsman are just like real, 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 real pinnacle kind of like, again, smart action. Um, Inception, obviously honorable mention. I, it didn't make my list because of you know personal reasons, I guess, or just other movies that affected me more. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't know how many of these you want me to go through. The Conjuring, as far as horror movie mm, goes. Yes. Like, Again, we were talking mm-hmm. about how for me, horror is not so much about like the splatter and the kind of uh, the, the thrill of the chase kind of a thing. But uh, this movie, I, I, a fun anecdote about The Conjuring is that when they were submitting to the MPAA to get a rating, uh, the MPAA could not give them a reason why it's rated R. Like they couldn't give them a content descriptor as to like to point to say this is why this movie's rated R. They just said it's too fucking scary. That yeah. was it. They're like, there, there's no there's not any gore in this or anything. It's just too oppressively demonic and scary and i love that and it nails that in the 70s vibe and everything so definitely conjuring for horror movies uh i have more you know whiplash whiplash absolutely yeah just fucking solid the martian we talked about 13 hours was going to be my number 10 but expendables booted it uh i've probably seen now nah, who am i kidding i've seen expendables more <laughs> and then um i know you're going to talk about probably uh nicholas whining refin uh, Drive yeah. and Neon Demon in particular for me. Neon mm-hmm. Demon was going to be on the list, but I ended up swapping it for something else. Uh, Baby Driver against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's only one Edgar Wright. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to and here's yeah, so here's the thing. I'm clearly a very uh, a huge pessimist. Annihilation was on my list for the longest time. Oh um, yeah, Alex Garland's Annihilation. Uh, it, it it I put it up over Ex Machina because Ex Machina mm-hmm. is you know terrifying, but I feel like the whole AI thing is. Just it was played out almost. Well, it wasn't played out when it came out, but it's certainly played out now in my mind. But Annihilation is the thing that is like I love movies that like set up a normal kind of a thing, and then they end up to life is meaningless or like we, you know, we're creatures that are built to destroy ourselves or whatever. Like for whatever reason, that just like triggers like the Black Swan. You know, the artist self destructing something about self destruction just yeah, does it for just me. Does it for you. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, the movie that I probably saw the most, uh, the my biggest honorable mention is Birdman, uh, mm-hmm. the Inuritu mm-hmm. film, because that mm-hmm. was the film that I saw that I didn't expect to like as much as I did. And that was the film that turned me on to the fact, and I still believe this to this day, 
is that the ultimately the actor is the special effect for me. Like mm-hmm. I don't I I don't care. It's it's nice when you're you know you can be a Christopher Nolan and you can architect all of these great 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 moving moving parts right and you can do these great sets and stuff but like to me the most important thing is the actor in front of the camera uh doing just you know somersaults upon somersaults of acting and edward norton and michael keaton and uh, what's her name emma stone in this movie just fucking go for it and uh, i i love it so those are my honorable mentions yeah those are some good ones um yeah so for sure for me like Drive, I really, really, really like that movie. I think that's Nicholas Winding Refn's best film. Yeah, um, I, think so. I think the combination of the music, the feel. I mean, that first like ten minutes. I mean, it, there, I, there's very few things like it in cinema that just gives you that like. Oh yeah, it's it set up the that, whole like vaporwave movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is just like like I don't know. There's just something cinematic about Los Angeles people doing you know people like doing, doing a robbery illegal shit uh, yeah yeah <laughs> do it you know like like that's that that is basically one of the pure tenets of film yeah it's just like yeah you got, you got like LA. mob bosses you know yeah it's great <laughs> and the way he does it and like that 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 speech at the beginning like that he gives oh my god so brilliant those lines yeah yeah, yeah um yeah, yeah it, it just i love that film and there's just there's a lot that I can say about it, but I really 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 like that film. Same. Uh, another one for me is Get Out. Jordan Peele's Get Out. I feel like that's a really important film. Um, it's again, it's like teetering on the edge for me. Uh, I think it's it's really good, great script, and you know uh, who knows where he's gonna go in his career, but it all starts there. Like yeah, that's his trajectory. Absolutely. That's what absolutely. he's about yeah. as a filmmaker. Um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm-hmm. Really really good film. Uh, her, that's another her. film that I feel like is very emblematic of the time. Yeah, and I feel like yeah, that's yeah, another yeah. film. If I gave the, if I gave like an extended list, this would de- that would definitely make it. So, yeah, same. Um, Toy Story three, really good film. Very like you talk about emotionally manipulative, but like that that film hits it home. Yeah, big dude, time. fuck that movie. Fuck that movie. I was in the theater and I was just like, I, I don't even care. Like, I, I don't like, for the record, I hate Disney movies with a passion. I just ended <laughs> up with Toy Story 3. And I was, I was like, I was like feeling a tear coming on. And I was just like, God damn it. <laughs> they did it. <laughs> well, they really do it. So, like, there's two times. First, they're good. They're going to get incinerated. And then, like, when the, the older kid talks to Woody, like, that's like, man. That's... Yeah, no, no, nobody wants to grow up. That, that movie really, yeah. really plays off of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's painful, but that's what they do. That's what they do yeah. best. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. what they do to you. And they always do it. Um, Life of Pi, just one of the absolutely most cinematically beautiful films of all yeah. time. Yeah. And um, I forget the director, Ang Lee. He Ang Lee. really tries to push the boundaries. Now, sometimes that's doesn't work at all. Like better or worse. (laughs) Like what was that? The, the, well, yeah, Gemini, uh, Will Smith versus Will, a movie that should have basically been made. That film should have been made in 1997. Yeah. I don't know why he accepted that. I mean, it it, is a 1997 movie. Yeah. Produced it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that would have been, that would have been good if it came out in 97 with Will Smith and then they just had him play himself, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Without the CGI. I mean, that would have that would have kind of worked, like in a face-off kind of way. That, no, right? that movie could have worked in like 2002 or whatever after yeah. The Bourne had come out. Yeah, that movie would have yeah, absolutely worked. Yeah, 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 yeah. It does not work today. 
unfortunately. And the the thing about what he was trying to do with that film is like do 3D 60 frames a second. High frame. Or something like that. That doesn't work. Some things work, but that doesn't actually work for what makes film good. Because when you when you do that, it just it looks fake. Looks like it looks like you're there. It doesn't look like a film. And it makes the I, acting look worse, I think. I, yeah, I that, that's a whole different discussion. I'm 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 on the side of I do I don't prefer the higher frame rate, but I, I like it and I wish more films would do it. Uh, I didn't like it when The Hobbit did it because that movie was a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> that movie was a piece of shit, yeah. Uh, and it doesn't work when there's because that that is one hundred percent an effects movie and it just ends up looking like a video game. Yeah, and it looks bad. I have played a lot of video games and like that doesn't do it for me. You know, when I try to go to the theater, like it's one or the other, but I like the high frame rate experiments. I like a uh, Billy Lynn's ha- long halftime walk was a movie that Ang Lee did at high frame rate. I think that one worked. Um, he does a lot of like cool slow motion shit, but uh, yeah, uh, interesting guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Life of Pi is, I mean, just some of the best cinematography of all time. For sure. Yeah, superior to all of these movies that we just listed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, and then, yeah, the last one for me would be Dunkirk. Um, and it's a brilliant film, and I think he really—it's really interesting what he tried to do with that film. Why does he have to fuck with time? It's just that's his thing. <laughs> I saw okay, to. so this this was I saw this on Letterbox, and this was like the funniest shit ever. Someone did a they did a review of Tenet. They said Christopher Nolan is obsessed with time the way Tarantino <laughs> is obsessed with feet, and I was like, yeah. okay, you got him, 100%. you got him, nailed it, hundred percent, nailed it, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's basically it. Yeah, that's his thing. <laughs> You know, That's but funny. we love his film. I like his films. I love I'm not going to really complain. Yeah. Um, okay. So now we've gotten to the final moment. So oh, what's your number one? Yeah. What could possibly culminate this list of, you know, sweaty action dudes in like uh, existential crisis movies? Uh, <laughs> well, last week or whenever, when we did 2019, I talked about The Dirt, the movie The Dirt. Um, yeah. Jeff, yeah. Jeff Tremaine's movie for Netflix uh, about Motley Crue and how unapologetically uh, I, there's something to me about. So I work on two levels, right? I work on the extremely nihilistic, pessimistic uh, head trip kind of psycho movies. And then on the other end of that, I like excess. I like Expendables. I like uh, my favorite movie of all time is Scarface. It is just fucking if you didn't know any better, you would think that like cocaine is like blown out of the fans of your DVD player. Right. Like I I like movies that give you that feel. So for me, number one for the decade, for the experience I had and for the the shit that it did was uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. That's my number one movie. Oh yeah, yeah. The Wolf just, of Wall Street. The Wolf of Wall Street is it. Uh, I like it more. I put it there because uh, I had to pick. Like again, like for a lot of these, like for Django, I was just like, well, what Tarantino movie do I pick, or like what Ridley Scott movie do I pick? For this, it was kind of not a contest for me. Uh, even though Irishman was my favorite movie of last year, Irishman is going for a different feel, is going for a different mood, and it definitely. And you could say this is a negative, but it has old man energy to it. I don't know what it is, but Irishman has, I mean, on purpose probably, but it has like old man energy. Like it feels like a movie made by old guys for old guys almost. Um, Wolf of Wall Street has youth and excitement and cocaine and a lot of cocaine. And lewds. And lewds. And it's it's like a... It's like if Oliver Stone were to come back and and, and do another Wall Street movie almost. <laughs> like, it's really <laughs> exciting again. Well, and, he uh, did do that, but this would be a good version of that movie. <laughs> fuck, you're right. But I mean, like, I mean, like, 
I mean, like if the Oliver Stone of the eighties were to come yes. back. All right. Let me, let me, yeah, let me, and it was good phrase that exactly. Uh, so Martin Scorsese, Maybe on Coke. I don't know. I can't think of another film. <laughs> there isn't another film in his filmography that is that goes to the lengths that this movie goes, which is why I like it so much. There's uh, there's movies that he has where like the fucks per minute are off the charts, but not as much as in this movie. There's movies that have nudity, not as much as this movie. You know, there's movies that have drug use. Not as much as this movie. This movie rolls it all. And what I love about it is that it's the, it's the buffet. It's three hours long. There's nothing cut. It just got to come out there. You got these like really interesting casting choices. You got Rob Reiner in there fucking cursing up a storm. Um, it just feels like, it feels like something that somebody of the caliber of Martin Scorsese has no business making at that time in his life. You know, like this feels like something like, because then after this, what did he do? He'd made silence, right? Like an intensely personal <laughs> film about faith and Catholicism. And then he made The Irishman reflecting on his legacy. And then, but this movie is just kind of exists in a bubble and it's like a bubble of heroin. And it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's just. It's so fun. It's, it's so, so fun. It's, it's so, so fun. fun. It has the, it has the. It's trappings. so funny too. It's hella funny. Yeah, it has the trappings of a Scorsese movie, right? It's got the voiceovers. It's got the kind of Goodfellas casino um, way of telling its story. Uh, you really love to hate these characters or you just love to love these characters or you're a piece of shit and you want to be these characters. Whatever. It works for everybody. Uh, this movie is responsible for introducing the world to Margot Robbie, which I think is a net positive. Um, Jonah Hill is in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, I love totally. this movie. I just love this movie. And I yeah. think just to, to kind of wrap it all up, what I love about it is that again, it just feels it feels good to have like a like a 70-year-old Martin Scorsese come out and just give it the energy and the life. Because you, you see him in interviews and you see him behind the scenes, and he's always he's excited and he's always like manic and he's always like, ah, oh, he, he loves making films. And it feels like this is the movie where whatever he was holding on to, you know, for like 30, 40 years, whatever he like felt like wasn't appropriate to put in whatever movie he was making, he put in this movie. <laughs> he put, he put the quaaludes in this and he put everything in this and it's directed so well. It it's is, like, yeah. it, it, there's like a late in the movie, there's a scene where like they're on a ship and there's like a hurricane or some shit happening. And like, they're like, Oh, I love you, man. Or we're going to die. Like it's so manic. And I think it's, it's amazing that um, somebody of the caliber of Scorsese was able to pull this off. Uh, that late into his career and Leonardo DiCaprio just oh, he just yeah. signed off he just said whatever you want to do I'll do it and he he was he was also fighting to get this movie made and so I'm just glad it exists man I it's I love movies about excess I love you know I love uh that kind of uh genre and so this did it for me <laughs> number yeah, one it's brilliant it's it's it is a wild movie um yeah. and it's a fun ride and it's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a, you could say that about a lot of movies. Like, you could say that about The Dirt, but, like, what what separates Wolf of Wall Street is that because it has a maestro at the helm, you know, whatever character stuff, you know, is, is in there and is good. Like, all the stuff with him and his wife, the drama of him losing his kids, stuff like that. It's that All of that stuff is in there, too. But, like, it's all, like, you know when you have brain fog and, like, you're trying to, like, write a, you know, write a report or something, but, like, you have brain fog and you just, like, can't quite get through it. The brain fog of this movie is, like, cocaine. Yeah, it's really it's really cool the way it's done. (laughs) Yeah. And again, it's so funny. Like, it's really hilarious. Like some of the stuff just thinking like that scene when he takes the Quaaludes, then he goes to take a phone call and then they (laughs) then they hit him. He's like, what? 
And I mean, like, and it's heartbreaking too. Like, because uh, later he, you know, he goes, he drives his Lamborghini or whatever, and he crashes, and like just crawling away from that wreck, just on quaaludes, and it's like it's funny, <laughs> but like what a wreck of a man! Like, I know what a what a, disaster. Um, what a mess! What a disaster <laughs> of a human being! It's sad. Yeah, he's a total mess. He's a total yeah. mess. Yeah, but, <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it's a brilliant film. <laughs> yeah. So what's your number one? <laughs> okay, so my number one, the only way that I could describe this film, and I think this is the best way to, to describe it, it is the dramatic equivalent of Avatar. This film, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the I'm special effects, so it's like I was talking about the special effects is really all about us. <laughs> so my number one is Boyhood from Richard oh, Linklater. Cool, dude. Thank you for liking Boyhood. Yeah. So many people talk shit about Boyhood. Let's talk about Boyhood. Dude, this film is insane. I know. I love this it. film is insane. He's he shot one person, well, but like the whole cast over the course of twelve years. Yeah. And we see a, a person go from like I don't know what is he like eight or something, something until like he's that. like twenty. Yeah. That's crazy that he pulled that off in a movie. Like I saw something um, Ethan Hawke was talking about. Like he didn't. He was he's a part of this film. He's like, oh, I didn't think it was ever going to actually work. I didn't think it was ever yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Like three years in, he was like, I don't think it's going to happen because like. You know, you can't, he can't, you can't sign a contract yeah. to be in a movie for over 10 years. It's, that's illegal. It's literally illegal. So he had to just on faith, just try this thing and see if it would work. It's just an experiment. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like, it's so brilliant because it's like, how can you really do a coming of age film? A lot of the time you, you just, you, you create a moment. You try to create this moment where characters sort of change when they're young and that's supposed to represent the changes that really happen over time. He's able to actually create that time where you see a person change physically, mm -hmm. emotionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you have those moments where at every step, because it's, it's a culmination, change is a culmination of things, you yeah. know? And in this character, we see like his parents get divorced and his, and his mom marries this asshole guy. Then they have to leave and then this and then that, and then his dad and blah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And then in the end, you see it all culminate together where he's in college and he has a girlfriend and it's like, wow i've i've just experienced a person's life yeah and that, that's just unbelievable that he was able to pull that off in this it's film un it's unbelievable to me sometimes we we talk to or maybe we, we will talk about more in the future but like sometimes we talk about the logistics of these things and how they get made and i think that is and that's part of the criticism i think that this movie got and i never agreed with it but it's like it's a gimmick and it's nothing but a gimmick Right. I've heard this. It's just like, oh, it's okay. a gimmick. He made a movie across, you know, 10, 11 years, whatever. Uh, that's the sum of its parts. And uh, it's it's actually a good like th there was a plan all along, you know, and it comes through. And that's even more impressive that he was able to hook Patricia Arquette and Ethan. Well, Ethan Hawke will do whatever the fuck. Yeah, he'll do whatever. Yeah. But like <laughs> he was able to hook some of these like big names. And I think she won an Oscar for this. Did she not? Oh, but, I'm not uh, sure. But anyways, like he was able to get these people to do it. There's a there's a couple of things about this movie that don't work for me. But like in the grand scheme of things, like what a cool, cool thing to do. Yeah. Like you like you said, it's a coming of age movie. How do you do coming of age? You literally have all of your people come of age and go through yeah. because every, every single one of these people had stuff going on in their personal lives. And yeah. they're able to bring something new to every single to bring life experiences to every new scene. There's no movie that can do that. There's no movie on Earth. That can do yeah. That. yeah yeah i mean again ethan hawk got divorced from uh <laughs> right. Uma thurman, yeah. Uma thurman and yeah. you know he gets divorced in the movie yeah 
Exactly. He's yeah, able to all bring of it that. feels yeah, all of it feels kind of real. It's it's almost it's like a yeah, it's got yeah. some there's some there's some like moonlight moments in this where you're just like like when uh when he goes like when he's in his like weird like prepubescent years when he's like hanging out with the high schoolers like and they're all like getting high or whatever, they're talking about girls and sex and it's just like ugh. Like this is awkward. Like I remember this, but like this is it's really, awkward, really but weird. it's real. Like that it's that's real, yeah. Actually how people people have that moment in their lives. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I know I probably had that moment. I can I can remember that moment. Same, yeah. And if someone had a camera on that, yeah, they would I feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see that shit again. <laughs> you know, I mean I mean that's when the internet was a thing in like two thousand, you know, two thousand and one, like it was the fucking Wild West, man. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that's that's and there are people again, it's it's this universal experience. Now today it's like social media or something else, but right. You know, there's always some kind of thing where people have to change because they're they're shown some new thing or they have some new experience or they meet different people or mm-hmm. they have a falling out with their parents. Mm-hmm. And this film encapsulates all those different moments. There was a lot, like for me, honestly, like there was so many things like where I could really connect with the main character. Like he goes through a Dragon Ball Z phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Then there's like, he goes to, uh, they show him like getting one of the new Harry Potter books, like mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like I, for me, there was, there was a point where I could connect with the character. It's, it's funny that you mentioned. Yeah. Like, um, there's this, if like this could have been done, there was like a paradigm shift with the whole phones and the, the social media and stuff like this movie is pre that. And we are pre that. And so maybe because when he decided to start shooting this, like the, the, the lead actor is, I think, a little, maybe a little younger than me, but like he's more or less our age. So he's part of that generation that grew up with the Harry Potters and then this and that. And certainly I did. And uh, it was fun to kind of, no, not fun, not always fun, like, like we just talked about, you know, but like you, you can put yourself in that shoes. And maybe for a lot of people it didn't connect because everybody has a different childhood. But like, I, I don't know, I, it sounds like we connected to it. Yeah, for sure. For me, there was a lot of things. It was like almost one to one. I mean, not the divorce yeah. stuff, but that just felt dramatic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, yeah, when he was like into Dragon Ball Z and he's going out to this and like getting older and like, I forget what the whole like the first dating stuff was like, but it, it all just like kind of worked, yeah. you know, and like the ending, I don't know, the ending is really, I think, kind of powerful and encapsulates the whole mm-hmm. thematic mm-hmm. piece of the film. In the end, yeah. when you see him and he's like kind of out and he's he's become an adult. Yeah. And it's just like you've seen when you think about also just like all the changes you've seen happen to this. It's not even just the character. It's the person, the human being that you saw at the beginning of this film who's like this cute little kid. And then he becomes basically yeah. a man. Yeah. And he's like he look he like he has a different air about him. And yeah. That's because he's it's it's he's just a different like he's not he's a different person. He's yeah. just a different person. Yeah. 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 And that's something, you know, I, I'm maybe there's a film that's tried to do that or has succeeded in doing it. But I feel like this is the film that does it the best of mm-hmm. showing through film and through sort of the veneer of cinema, the change that happens to a human being over time. Yeah. yeah. And, and what, an interesting, what an interesting thing, like uh, going through all of our lists, like we've we've hit many, many, many different types of films. And it's awesome. And it's refreshing, I guess, just doing this list to remember that, like films and cinema can work on all of these different, like they can just do these different things and they don't all have to be, you know, uh, they don't all have to be what fast five, <laughs> you know, yeah. like they can, they can all do different things and it's really cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, yeah, that's another one, you know, I mean, could anyone else have really pulled it off than Richard Linklater? I don't know. 
Right. Well, because um, again, again, the logistics always creep back into my brain for this one. It's just like the logistics are a nightmare. How do you it's do a this? Nightmare. Yeah, it's a nightmare. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my, because one little thing goes off, and you're, you're I really mean, fucked. maybe, maybe <laughs> you if well, maybe if you're good enough at being able, so you'd need the main lead to always be there. Yeah. If you lose him, you're you're fucked. Yeah. But if something else goes wrong, you could maybe kind of. Yeah, like, oh, mom, mom deserted us. She moved away. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but then, or, but then, dad, dad divorced us, and so, you know, whatever. Yeah, but then what if, what if the actor who played dad comes in and says, you can't use any of that footage? Then, then what do you do? And then you, know, you go to court over this movie. Like, it's, it's, it's such a and then balancing it's, And then it's act. tangled for another five years, yeah. Yeah, and then your, guy, your, your lead grows up, and you're fucked. <laughs> like, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that had to go right for this movie to come out. And he's trying to do another one similar to this, but like a 20 year arc. I heard about that. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, Hey, if anyone could do it, you know, he's got the experience, but like Jesus, <laughs> I wonder what year we're in. Maybe we're like year three or four for him. At this point. I don't know, but it, it's, um, you know, this, this film. Yeah. It's so great. I mean, I, I, I also love his, the before trilogy. Yes. And this is. almost feels like the before trilogy in one film. Yeah. If you see like that whole arc. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. One film. Like it's, yeah. it's brilliant. Because those are all made like a decade apart or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe so. They're all done in decades. So. Yeah. It's like 95, 2005, 2015. Yeah. 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 I, it, it, it's amazing. Stuff. It's amazing what he's what he's able to do. And and again, those are like, he's just friends with Julie Depley and Ethan Hawke. They just make a film every decade. And Yeah. Yeah. I, be, yeah. I believe uh, the story was for the first or second one. They're just like, they were at con or whatever. And they're like, hey, we got like, you got three days. We'll just make a movie. Like, oh, I, I would love to do that. <laughs> Yeah, and because because yeah. they like they were like improvising it, like writing it, like Ethan Hawke was writing it with them as they went along, like really cool, really cool. Yeah, great stuff. Um, yeah, I, I just I love this film and just like seeing the whole thing come together, seeing Boyhood come together, it's incredible to me. It, it, it's yeah. like it's there's nothing else I've ever seen like it in film. It's yeah. unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think people don't give that movie enough credit because it's not. I don't hear it brought up as much as. Uh, other movies when it comes to because the lists of the decade have come out already you know people have already talked about this and i haven't heard too much about boyhood i heard a lot about you know some of the other movies but yeah yeah I think, uh, i'm glad you you brought that up yeah it's my number one for me so cool, cool. all right we did it we got through our decade list did we <laughs> yeah yeah pretty epic um yeah well wait until wait until in the future we'll have to do one our top 100 <laughs> Oh, I, sure, sure, I could do that. Yeah, just ax them, just ax them as they go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Oh man. Well, this has been fun. I really like this. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was. What's good is like you know. I feel like we agree on a lot of films, but we yeah. always have things that are generally pretty different. So we cover mm-hmm. a lot of ground. True, 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 true. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah, you can always count on me to to, to 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 pick the manic depressive stuff. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and the action stuff where you really you get that feeling, I'm, it, feeling. I am, i'm telling you it is an untapped well that is my like action uh knowledge of of, of those films those eras those producers all those things yeah 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 big yeah. fan yeah all right cool well um thanks a lot everybody um thanks for listening to us talk about films for three hours nearly <laughs> yeah it, i mean shit yeah if you if you had nothing better to do then more power to you man i appreciate it <laughs> yeah. all right cool well we'll see you guys again next week take care take, care. take care